The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Oh, hi, everybody. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where we have an explosion sound effect in five seconds. It's a long time to wait. Oh, I, I wasn't counting. No! <laughs> anyway, this is our, this is our show. Yeah, we, five we five seconds of dead air. You don't, you don't want that. That's, that's really <laughs> unprofessional. I thought the suspense would keep oh, me yeah. riveted. <laughs> anyway, my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic for The Wrap. I also write for Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Uh, if you read a Star Trek article on Slash Film, there's probably like a 60 to 80% chance that I was the one who wrote it, because that's, and that's if it all I do. And if it isn't uh, about the new show... Like mm. Picard, it's more like a ninety-five percent chance that you wrote it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you do the retro stuff. I do all the retro. I, I wrote an uh, an article about Tuvok recently from Star Trek Voyager. God, I'm glad now we have Finally. an article about Tuvok. Yeah. Uh, my argument was Tuvok is a better Vulcan than we've ever had on Star Trek previously. Mm-hmm. Well, he's more committed to it. Every other Vulcan was all about like, uh, yeah, do were, I really feel Vulcan enough? Yeah, there was always this like yeah. torn between cultures, and it it stemmed from another article about, mm. about Spock. Ah. And how uh, there are two two Spock fans. Yeah. Two kinds of Spock fans. Yeah, the ones who want to be uh, more Vulcan, the ones who want to be more human. Exactly. Yeah. There's the people who like when he retains his composure and the people who like it when he breaks, when he shows shows some humanity. Yeah. I'm the former. I like the the the, the Vulcan side of Spock. No, for me, it's interesting. And yeah, we, yeah we're starting with Star Trek. You're Absolutely, we're starting I... with Star Trek. Welcome to our movie review podcast. We'll get to the movies in we, a second. We have a weekly show on our Patreon where we do nothing but talk about Star Trek, but let's we open the can of worms. It's time to eat some worms. <laughs> uh, I am Is actually, it Gok? I actually, Klingon bloodworms? I actually struggled with that. Like, what version of Spock do I, do I care about the most? Mm. And I realized, it wasn't until I realized there was an episode of... Uh, the new series Strange New Worlds, uh-huh. where uh, they actually reframed Spock's struggle as not like, am I half human and I'm trying to be more Klingon, or am I half Vulcan, Klingon and trying to be more human? Sorry, have, yeah. yes, that, that was just, you're the one who brought up Klingon Bloodworks, okay, that's on you. <laughs> Excuse me. All right, but am I half Vulcan and I'm trying to be more human, or am I half human and trying to be more Vulcan? And another character brought up, has it ever occurred to you that you're neither and both? Yeah. That you you're you're its own separate thing. Mm. You are not part of this like binary human Vulcan equation. And I was like, that's it. That's mm. the that's the Spock I like. Yeah, he's the, in the uh, middle. He's trapped. It's it's there's the, conflict, uh, but it doesn't even have to be. It's just yeah, he's it, both things. It's okay. The, the new show Strange New Worlds gave Spock like they made him so jovial. Like he's a lot more warm and relatable. He's you like, say that, but he's still like, he's still. He's, he's, he's still not, Spock. He's not the stick in the mud that I, you know, mm-hmm. always liked him to be. I like the Strange New World Spock. That's I, I, I like Strange New World all a lot. My I love, like that character too, but he's very All different. my love to Leonard Nimoy. He's amazing. All my love to Zachary Quinto. I think he did a good mm-hmm. job, even though the movies aren't all well written. 
I, I really like the new Spock. Yeah, He's Ethan, so great. Ethan Peck is the actor. Ethan name. Peck, Gregory awesome. Peck's uh, son, son or grand, granddaughter, son or grandson. grandson. I don't know. Uh, one of the other. Anyway, we are reviewing movies now that we don't talk about Star Trek. Here's what we're reviewing this week on Critically Acclaimed. Mm-hmm. We're reviewing the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, we saw it. Yep. We're reviewing the new Ben Affleck film Air about the creation of the Air Jordan shoe. We are reviewing the new comedy film Paint starring Owen Wilson as a very Bob Ross-esque uh, uh, public access paint sh- painting show host. He, uh, he's not actually Bob Ross. He's, he's not like, actually Bob Ross. They, uh, they legally distinct character who looks and acts exactly like Bob Ross. I I didn't see that one. Yeah. I'm not going to be talking about it, Uh but now I'm kind of glad I didn't because that sounds bad. Well, we're going to talk about pain. You'll you'll tell me about pain. Oh, I will tell you all about pain. Uh, We're also (laughs) reviewing the new documentary Life with Chucky about the child's play called Living with Chucky. I'm sorry, Living with Chucky. I I didn't see that one, which is ironic because I've actually like written and podcasted and done like extensive video yeah, series like with about the Don Chucky. Mancini yeah. and yeah, the people yeah. involved in making it's, Child's and, Play. It didn't work out. Uh, and the new independent film How to Blow Up a Pipeline which is about how to blow up a pipeline. Mm. But let's start with the Mario in the room because uh-huh. they put out a new film the third technically feature film based off of the Super Mario Brothers and it is not just successful, it had one of the biggest movie openings of all time. Uh, largest movie opening for an animated film, that's yep. for sure. Yeah. Uh, not counting Avatar, which is mostly animated anyway. That's where we're getting in this weird yeah. middle ground where a lot of the, the special effects are getting so advanced that... The not sure which ones of... to count as animated or I'm not, even though if... they're all technically animated. I don't. I remember Avatar One didn't have the biggest opening, and I don't think Avatar. I remember when Avatar Two came out, everyone's like, "That's a little soft." I didn't think it was gonna. So, yeah, end up it's, yeah, it's the third highest grossing movie of all yeah, time. Avatar now. Avatar Two opening yeah. weekend. I'm looking this up. Just yeah. so uh, I remember Avatar Two. Yeah, like did Avatar you... Two only made 134 million its opening weekend. Mario made Mario's more. made more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, domestically, it's made over 200. Um, yeah. It's huge. There's no other movies for kids, and it's yeah, based a on really it. a recognizable, uh, worldwide recognizable mm. uh, video game characters that mm. uh, haven't seen the big screen since 1993. So, and, and I think it helps that a, Mario has, even though they've like added on to Mario, Mario has remained largely unchanged for decades. Mm. So multiple generations who grew up with him might be interested in seeing it, might be more willing to buy tickets for yeah, the kids to see it. That's a big reason yeah. why this one's doing better than uh, the 1993 film did, yeah. uh, because that came out in 93. Yeah. Uh, there were two Mario... The- or There's... Four Mario games, uh, mm-hmm. Super Super Mario Brothers games at that point. There's, yeah, uh, there's also Mario Brothers and a few other spinoffs like yeah, like uh, Mario's Time Machine for the PC, which was an educational game, like that yeah. kind of stuff was. But around. the proper but, official uh, Mario games have only been like, they've been less than a handful. They've been yeah, less than five. so yeah. there, there weren't so many, and also Nintendo, mm-hmm. unlike a lot of the other consoles, especially today. Mm-hmm. Um, was very specifically geared toward a very young audience. Um, yes, never afraid to just be games. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. We are a console. We have fun games. Kids can play them. It's very friendly, yeah. and that was their business model, and it still is. It's one of the reasons uh, why Nintendo, more than any of the other game consoles, is still really big on mascots. Yeah, because mascots yeah. make your big corporate product seem friendly. Yeah, there's and a, that's what Mario is. Even though we we know the story, Bowser kidnaps Peach. Well, it's, Mario rescues Peach. And sometimes they go, they all go go karting together. But Mario doesn't have like a very 
Well, he doesn't deep have a, backstory no, or journey no, to take. He's not a character. He's, he, a, a, he's something you put f- in yeah, a situation a, a and everyone's you, fine with it. A figure you manipulate. It's this yeah. friendly cartoon shape. And that's and that's all he ever needs to be. And you know what? Uh, I played the, Mario games incessantly as a kid. Absolutely. They're great games for the most part. Yeah, great great gameplay, weird yeah. fantasy worlds, yeah. uh, great music. I love the uh, Koji, Koji Kondo is the name of the composer for those early Nintendo yeah. games. Uh, to cite, uh, he produced it and he also created Mario's name is Shigeru Miyamoto. Yeah. And, uh, one of the great game designers. Period. Yeah, he's... Yeah. If, if all he did was Mario, he would be mm-hmm. a champion, but he's also done other things as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I don't even know if uh, we have, like, a, a, a comparison. Like, mm-hmm. he's not George Lucas, he's not Steven Spielberg, he's Shigeru Miyamoto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, Sh- Shigeru just, Miyamoto. And yeah. uh, Mario, for the longest time, was, I think, because of that 1993 movie. Uh, mm. And... It's low level of success mm-hmm. and low level of critical acclaim that uh, which Nintendo, is to say none until relatively recently yeah, when some of us have been trying to reclaim it as at least interesting. I I, I love it because it's weird. It's yeah. a weird movie. It has a lot of strange concepts in it. The complaint at the time and today, weirdly today, uh-huh. is that it's not like the games. It's not yeah, faithful. No, no shit. It's not like the games. The games are an acid trip. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, the premise is simple enough. You said. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a, a knight errantry story. A dragon captures a princess, and a knight has to go rescue them. Yeah, uh, except the knight is, happens to be a plumber. Why yeah, the knight? Yeah. The knight is just a little plumber in overalls this time. I, I guess to like a little, There's a little whimsy in there. It, it's whimsy. It's yeah. also like it's very much. It's very much an everyman. Mm. You know, like who who is rescuing like the princess a from class a dra- guy, yeah, yeah, who is rescuing the princess from the dragon? Working class dude. Mm. You know, just suddenly found himself in this yeah, world. The, what uh, else am I going to do? I guess I'll be the hero. You know, but the games contain a lot of strange iconography mm-hmm. uh you eat mushrooms and that enhances your power yeah uh, there's a flower you eat a flower and you can now throw fire out of your hands some like, flowers also try to eat you yeah there are uh, bullets with faces that, that mm, don't like so you it's, very it's, much yeah it's uh yeah. bizarre cartoon images uh, a lot of uh, strange uh, floating platforms you know things that make total set like mm-hmm. video game logic make perfect sense well in video game uh, logic and, and story just... logic makes no sense none, none whatsoever and yeah uh, as a somebody who played those original Mario games as a child, mm-hmm. grew up reading Nintendo Power magazine, uh, and heaven help me, watched the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, if you remember that from 1989. Oh yeah, um, that's where Captain Lou Albano from uh, the WWF mm-hmm. and uh, an actor named Danny Wells played Mario and Luigi in live action bookend segments. Yeah, they would, you would and, we would uh, hang out with Mario and Luigi like going about their daily lives and then they would say, hey, this reminds me of that time when we then, were in the Mushroom Kingdom. And then and, they'd show a really yeah. badly animated segment in the middle. Yeah. Uh, every Friday that animated segment was Legend of Zelda. Yes. And that was not a particularly uh, good Legend of Zelda but it was better than the Mario because it was kind yeah, of like, like an by adventure. A, hair. a little. A little yeah. bit. The, the funny thing is is that but, uh, I, the, Sorry, well, hold on. My point would be my point was going to be that mm. having seen all of this stuff and having seen these cartoons, mm-hmm. uh, we learned even as kids early on that Mario doesn't translate well to stories, and yeah. it's because Mario isn't much of a character. Yeah, the 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 one I was going to bring up is a movie that I only relatively recently found out existed, mm. and I tracked down and I've written a little bit about uh, it. I think I told film. you that it existed. I think, I I think, seen we, it, I think we discovered it, it like yeah. together or something like that. But like, yeah. There's an anime film called Super Mario Brothers: The Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach, yeah, from which 1986, is, which is technically a tie 
for the first video game feature-length film adaptation. The other one was a game was a movie called Running Boy Star Soldier's Secret, which is based on a game that's a little more obscure than Mario. Uh, neither film has ever been properly released in America. You can find, if you go to YouTube, uh, there have been like fan translations, so you can watch it subtitled. They seem relatively accurate. Um, so I watched this thing. It's a little bit more than an hour long. It, it, it's weird. Mm. There's definitely some weirdness in it. Like, it opens with, like, Mario playing video games and Princess Peach and Bowser coming out of the video game. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. That's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. a little weird, but okay. And then, like, uh, the uh, next I'd... day we find out that uh, in this universe, Mario and Luigi are... They run a grocery store instead of being plumbers, which is kind of weird. But okay, it's a little... I'm not, ar- sure, I'm not sure when the... Like, how there were well always known the, the plumber aspect of it? When, before the Bowser thing, before it was just Mario Brothers, that was the whole thing. They were in Oh, that's pipes. true. They were in the sewers. Yeah, yeah so that, they were that was always, always a big, uh, big part of it. Um, a dog steals the necklace Princess Peach had left behind in the previous night's adventure. They follow the dog to the Mushroom Kingdom. They're told, you are the chosen ones, and you must find... Uh, three magical items, a mushroom, a flower, and a star, uh, and save the princess from Bowser. Mm. And they do that, and there's some weirdness in the middle. Uh, but what's interesting about that film, there's there's some odd bits, there's like some bizarre sides where Mario dresses up like um, Pancho Villa and like shoots <laughs> guns in the air, and that feels out of, out of place. Um the ending does. The ending is kind of annoying because it suddenly introduces a new character who's like a new love interest for Princess Peach, who is never shown again. <laughs> it's just completely dissatisfying. But um, there are things in that movie that are kind of interesting and they're kind of important to Mario because that movie did a few things for the very first time. Okay. Not even the games had done this yet. Like this, the movie was the first time they clarified that Bowser, aka King Koopa. Kidnap Princess Peach because he wanted to marry her. Okay. In the game, he just kidnapped her. Yeah. His motive was unnecessary. He's a monster. He kidnapped the princess. So that came from there. Uh, Luigi being taller and thinner than Mario. That came from there. We take that for granted. So it's an interesting film. And if you're interested in in Mario's sort of cinematic history, (laughs) I don't think a lot of people might be, given the popularity of the new film. Um, It's worth seeking out. Mm. It's an hour. It's kind of weird. But it's it's definitely worth seeking out. I'm, I'm glad I did it. Yeah, the Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, Dennis Hopper one is very entertaining, but it came from this this perspective, I think, as much as I enjoy that movie. Oh. It came from this perspective that a lot of people had, I think, when they were adapting video games, specific video games to movies, mm-hmm. um, that video games needed to be fixed. That, there were, that they were mm-hmm. fundamentally, and I, and I know that they're more simple or more abstract, yes, but that there was something fundamentally wrong with them, and in order to well, turn not, them into not, a, not cinematic, in order to turn them into a movie, they needed to be changed in almost any every way. And mm. the irony is that this was never going to work for audiences because the people who liked the game weren't going to be happy to see the game so dramatically altered arbitrarily oh. for the most part, uh. and the people who didn't like the game weren't going to go. I suppose so. So you're not helping anyone. I did like the game, and maybe I was just open-minded as a child, Mm -hmm. but I appreciated that there was going to be the movie version, which could stand alone, and I'd be okay with that. I'm not actually saying that no one liked that movie. I didn't want the the movie to just sort of replicate the game experience. I'm not not criticizing Uh, your appreciation of that movie. I'm saying I can appreciate why it wasn't 
particularly popular. Yeah. yeah. I, why, uh, why the main that, uh, Mario audience didn't embrace it, although some of us weirdos did. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Very briefly, the the premise of that 93 movie, if yeah. you haven't seen it... Yeah. Uh, also involves a, a necklace and going into the, the well, sewers it, and... Yeah. Like, it goes into the sewers, but rather... Uh, the premise is that the meteor that destroyed uh, the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. like, millions of years ago, uh, actually hit so hard it rent uh, dimensions. Is, yeah. It rent the, the universe asunder yeah. and split Earth into two separate dimensions. Yeah, one where the dinosaurs uh, one, lived and one where they died. Yeah, one, one, one where they lived, one where they died, and the one where they lived, they continued to evolve into hominids. They turned yeah. into, like, bipedal but they look human, they which look always, human, which always felt like we didn't have the budget for all that reptile makeup. Oh, it was fine. I thought it was... I thought I it was, always, that was, I kind of that was cool, arbitrary. Cool in a sci-fi kind of a way. They, uh, I, I never understood why they look like humans. There's some evolutionary theory about how... Um, as uh, and, creatures and, and, and evolved, they would inevitably look like us. Yeah, that there's some something yeah. like about survival instincts that like dictates mm. certain body structures. And you know uh, what? When we run into more like intelligent species that look like us, I will take that seriously. Until now, no, it feels, right, like, feels pretty egomaniacal. Actually, right now it's actually like kind of crackpot. It's not yeah. not a lot of uh, actual scientific basis to that. But there's yeah. a theory about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they they end up going back and forth between these dimensions. Uh, I. In the dinosaur dimension, uh, King Koopa, the character, is played by Dennis Hopper, uh, has laid waste to the world, uh, consumed all the resources in service of uh, his his, uh, fascism. It's this fascist dictator character. Uh, Everybody lives in poverty. Uh, The city is very, uh, you know, Blade Runner light. It's like kind of run down, scummy city. That's just what movies look like for a while there. Anything vaguely futuristic looked pretty Blade Runner-y for Mm. At least the first 15 years after Blade Runner, I think. And yeah, it started the, to calm down a smidge. There's, and... there's fungus everywhere, but it looks like athlete's foot. Like it's this yeah, kind it's of really weird. grimy, gross looking stuff. Uh, and uh, it, it was kind of about uh, waste. Mm-hmm. About uh, society wasting the world. Yeah. That's what Koopa, and what he wanted to do was in, infiltrate Earth and steal our resources. The irony, of course, is that on Earth we have wasted the world mm. uh, through the use of oil, which is dinosaurs. Isn't that, they never bring that up in the that's, movie. That would have been interesting. A, that right? would have an interesting thing it's to like, bring up, right? Oh, you have a lot of oil here. What's it made of? Um, <laughs> well, King Koopa. <laughs> we didn't want to bring this up. Now, now we hey, look bad. Hey, that Sinclair gas station. Why is there a dinosaur on it? <laughs> oh, shit. Well. Uh, anyway. Yeah, but uh, that movie was weirdly like it actually had like a message in that yeah not a not a complicated one something no, like little kids could understand not even was, necessarily a cogent one all it, the time it, it, but by was, god it had an idea it was kind of environmentalist it was anti-fascist yeah. and it was kind of uh anti-commercial yeah uh and, and, and ended up not being a very commercial and success it wasn't very commercial, so, yeah commercially successful yeah, ourselves on the foot there a little bit uh fast forward to 2023 yeah uh and we have a super mario brothers movie it's mm-hmm. called the super mario brothers movie mm-hmm. uh it's completely being, animated. Completely animated. It's being released uh, in conjunction with... Illumination. Uh, no, well, I was going to say with two amusement parks oh, yeah. uh, that are opening in Japan and in Universal Studios here in Hollywood. Yeah, the uh, Super Nintendo Land. Yeah, Super Nintendo it World. Uh, whatever and, it's called. Yeah. And you can tell, looking at this movie, mm-hmm. uh, Shigeru Miyamoto is one of the producers on this movie. Yeah. Uh, this is... 
a commercial mm-hmm. for Nintendo mm-hmm. feels like it. It yes. feels like a very carefully constructed mm-hmm. way to advance a brand and never feels like mm-hmm. an important story that needs to be told. And I want to I clarify something here because you say important story that needs to be told. And I think that there is a fallacy uh-huh. that some people believe mm. about uh, film critics. Uh, I've heard it said, not every movie is Citizen Kane. We don't expect Super Mario Brothers, the movie, to be Citizen no, Kane. No, but I want a what good I, Super Mario Brothers. What movie. I would like is a good Super Mario Brothers. What I would like is a, a movie where it feels like they were trying to make a good movie. Yeah. And that's the thing with the Super Mario Brothers movie. It is nicely animated, very colorful, it, it, attractive it, it, to look it, at. It takes, it's not hard uh, to watch, but it is not in service of anything Hmm. other than selling Mario. It's everything that we were like kind of afraid the Lego movie would be before it came out. And then yeah. we saw the Lego movie and it was like, yeah, it's well, an advertisement for Lego, but it's actually... It's about... Like, it's about something. Play and imagination. Yeah, and, it and appreciates that, that, that at, the, of, at the core yeah. of this thing, there is something real, there's something special, there's something human that we can celebrate and talk about. Hmm. It's still a very silly movie that kids can enjoy without even seriously, consciously comprehending that there is a message to it. Mm. But by God, they put something in there. Yeah. Uh, and this is literally just Mario and Luigi are plumbers. They go to the Mushroom Kingdom. Luigi gets kidnapped. That's the closest thing we have to a twist is that they have to rescue Luigi instead of Peach. Uh, Mario and Peach go to a few places in the Mushroom Kingdom. At mm. one point, they go go-karting. They fight Bowser. And then that's the end. And no one, no one goes through anything that that changes them in any in yeah. any way. Nobody learns. You know, even bothers learning a valuable lesson. It's not even like ah, Mario had to learn the value of hope, or like mm. even even Sonic the Hedgehog is all about him. Like yeah, I gotta like he's lonely and he gets a friend. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's part that's, of Sonic the Hedgehog. That's, yeah. that's all you need. It's but it's something. Yeah, it is some effort. To treat this not like a commercial or a really long let's play of an abstract video game, but to tell a story that people might connect to mm. on a human level beyond, I like Mario. Yeah, the well, the issue is, because this is so focused on the brand, Yeah, uh, they're not permitted to turn Mario into something other than what he is, which is mm. nothing. Mm-hmm. You, you play a Mario game, Mario doesn't have personality. Not really, no. He, he's... He's, he's, he's got a can-do spirit, I guess, but like, that's about all. Kind of affable, yeah. uh, determined in that vague, heroic sort of way. We know that he's very sporting. We've mm. seen him play tennis. We've seen him play yeah, soccer. But those are his interests. That's not his character. I understand that. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying what we know about And him. I know we can the type. Movie... <laughs> he taught me how to type. <laughs> it was a Mario typing game. It's pretty great. He's, he's a good painter. Yeah. Mario paint. Yes. Uh, <laughs> So, when you're writing a movie about Mario, yeah. and you're hamstrung by the idea that Mario can't be anything other than he is on the in the screen, mm-hmm. which is nothing, right. then you can't give him personality. And, and so... Ordinarily, I feel like this is the part where a filmmaker would be like, okay, I can't do anything with Mario. So, I'm going to surround him with other interesting I'm going to other... So. I'm going to make sure... I'm going to put Peach through something interesting. I'm going to put Luigi through... I'm going to put Bowser through something interesting. Mm. I'm going to just make sure because this character has to be static. I'm not allowed to touch them. Mm. But they do have to be the centerpiece. I'm going to make them integral to maybe someone else's story so that we can feel like we've not just done stuff, but been on a journey. Yeah, you get Corey from Halloween Ends and you give him the sidekick <laughs> role in Super... No, I'm kidding. 
Uh, I, I like Halloween Ends a lot, actually. Yeah. Oh, I was very fond of that movie. I thought it was... And I like the character of Corey. I liked uh, the idea. I thought it was mishandled. Okay. I, they they, I, I they, like the, they the, did a big about face in Halloween 3, and I appreciate that, but... Or the uh, new I, Halloween 3, yeah. rather, and I appreciate that. That's very I, fitting. But... I liked that about face. I liked that they focused on something a little more interesting, that it wasn't mm-hmm. just about the same slasher. Well, but, but at that point, uh, though, but... it's doing something interesting, and I want to make this clear, it's not in and of itself... Uh-huh. Like, gets you big thumbs up. You can do something interesting and do it really terrible. Oh, that's true. And I, and I want to say this about the Super Mario Bros. movie, because I feel like the um, the overwhelmingly bad, like, critics grade on Rotten Tomatoes well, has not, given people... It's pe- like 50%. It's not terrible. I know, terrible. but that's pretty bad for a mainstream blockbuster like this. I suppose so. I think a lot of people are assuming that critics are, like, really saying this movie is terrible. And I don't actually know many critics who have said it's terrible. Some have said that it is, like, representative of something bad, much like we often talk about how Space Jam is a sort oh, of yeah, a soullessly corrupt corporate entity more than it is mm-hmm. any kind of story or film. Um, but for the most part, and, I, and I'll say this even for myself as well, um, I think as, in, in many respects, the filmmaking is is not bad. In fact, I want, what I'll tell you something I like about this movie. Hmm. I think this movie translates the bizarre worlds and locales and iconography and music Mm. of the Super Mario Brothers into a cinematic language that makes sense, at Mm. least to look at. I think it is very attractively, like, put together. Mm. I think it is, you know, a bit of a feast for the eyes when they go-kart on the Rainbow Road. I'm like, well, this is pretty. Yeah, You made Uh, something uh, that looks nice here. Well, that's that's something that uh, they were... I think Alan Taylor, who did the music, Mm. I think he did a great job of translating the musical cues into some like familiar musical cues mm. into cinematic like, scoring that helps tell the story really well. Yeah, so I think yeah. there's a lot of people doing some great work within mm. this nothing burger of a story. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the, and the story. Yeah, you you covered the story. It's nothing. Uh, it's, uh, nothing happens. Mario and Luigi are from yeah. Earth. They're from Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, they find a pipe underneath Brooklyn. It's yeah. a magical pipe that takes them into an alternate dimension. Um, yeah. When they Which go, is just like what happens mm. in the live action movie, by the way, they find yeah, a, they like, find a magical gateway underneath. It's a Brooklyn. magical <laughs> gateway. It's yeah. not literally a pipe, but that's yeah, that's it's kind whatever. of the only difference. Might as well be. Um, yeah, they they get they they wind up in the Mushroom Kingdom. They get separated en route. Uh, Luigi. The, that, ends well, up that in, was that was the one wise thing. Uh, yeah, that, separating them, and yeah. well, not separating them, uh, having them start on Earth. Uh, yeah. In fact, that was uh, that was also part of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Mm-hmm. They found the secret warp zone while working on the drain. They got yeah. sucked down the, the a tub drain, and they found themselves in the, the Mushroom Kingdom. If you remember yeah. the rap song I from the opening of that TV show. But yeah. um, like, we meet we meet them. We find out that they're not very successful plumbers. Yeah, they, we but, meet their family, and it's very much like the dinner scene from Rhinestone, which I thought was funny. Uh, Charles Martinet plays Mario's dad. Yeah. As well Mar- as uh, a supporting character named, I think, Giuseppe. Yeah, and Charles Martinet is the actual official voice of Mario in the video game. Yeah, he was hired in like the early '90s to just to do like the vocal inflections, like "woohoo" and "let's go." Like nothing. Yeah, it's really a me, Mario. Yeah. He's the guy who said that. Yeah, and he's done a lot of. I think he also did like Wario and I'm sure, yes. a, a few of the other voices as well. Uh, and because there was, was a minor, animated, there a lot of people were like, "Why not just get Charles Martinet?" It's not like yeah, anyone's going to be and he's, like he is an actor. Like he doesn't just do that. He yeah, does, he, he does other other it's, acting it's roles as well. So he could have played the part. So yeah. we got Chris Pratt. They, they did something that I think they thought was cute, and I thought it was mostly unnecessary. Kind of harmless, I guess, but mostly unnecessary. 
because everyone was making fun of Chris Pratt for not doing the Mario voice, and mm. he didn't do the Mario voice. But what they did uh-huh. was when we're introduced to Mario and Luigi in the movie, we're introduced to them through a through a, like a, a TV commercial that they've made, where they are setting themselves up to be like awesome plumbers, and they are speaking in very broad Italian accents. Yeah, that's in that commercial, and then we pull back from the commercial to watch them watching that commercial in like a diner. And they're talking in very mild like Italian-American kind of, kind of accent. Brooklyn-ish like accents, very yeah. mild. Other people around them, very thick. Them, very mild. I don't know if this was a concession because the actors they got couldn't do really good Italian accents mm. or even consistently over-the-top Italian accents. Speaking as an Italian-American... Uh, yeah, t- t- I'll, I'll say this. Your name is Bibiani. It is. So, yeah, it is. So. I'm Italian-American. I, I don't have... My my family wasn't like you know, my 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 family isn't exclusively Italian, so I grew up in other cultures as well. But um, I like that there's an Italian American superhero, just in general, and I love that he's like I love that he's a chubby little guy. I love yeah. that he's a chubby little guy with facial hair. I'm sorry, speaking as I'm, I'm, I guess I'm like I'm like five eleven, but like I'm not little, but like I, I like that there's a chubby Italian superhero that we all dig. Yep, I I think that's great. I just think that's fun, uh, and I was kind of annoyed when it seemed like Chris Pratt wasn't going to do anything even remotely resembling an accent, because yeah. that's just stripping all the cultural iconography from him. And I appreciate that at the very least, even though they reduced the accent for, I, I hope it was just because the actors weren't very good, and not because they thought people didn't like hearing Italian accents, because mm-hmm. screw you. Um, but at least the people around him are more Italian. Are they stereotypically Italian? Yes. Very much so, mm. but at least they are. <laughs> that's that's the, yeah. the closest thing we got. So I, uh, I appreciated that. Uh, I, yeah. I think I still would have liked if they just let them have thick accents. Who cares? Mm. But they did what if they it, did, and I, it's not as bad as the trailer made it out to be. Yeah, I, I, the erasure I, isn't as bad. The, the erasure. Yeah, I just. My issue with Chris Pratt's performance isn't that he doesn't sound like Mario. Yeah. It's that he didn't bring anything to it. No, it's uh, very milk It's, it's that, yeah. that he sort of gave this very... And this is... The movie in general is that yeah. they're not allowed to bring a lot of character or weirdness into it. It's already weird, but it's been weird for so long... It feels that it, normal. It's really normal now. It's like yeah. the Ninja Turtles. Nobody... That's not, not even a strange idea any longer. No, it's like it's been, uh, like it's been strange for so yeah. long, it's normal. Exactly. Yeah, well so so you, yeah. you, you go into the Mario world, it's like... oh. It's 2023. It's been 30 years since the last movie. We, we have had all this time to get used to this stuff. And now there's, there's like 100 Mario games. Yeah. We're, we're used to a very particular color palette, a certain cast of characters, mm-hmm. uh, the function of the power-ups. They yep. go into uh, the world and they just start talking about power-ups. Yeah, you get a power-up and if you get hit, you lose it. It's like, that's video game language. Yeah. But we're also familiar but, with those dynamics that it, when they just say it in a movie, it just sort of makes sense. It's like, I, I'm fine with it, but you realize that within the actual universe, there is actually no good explanation for that. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I think mm. he, once you start explaining it too much, you get in the weeds. Yeah, like, but, I remember when they did like the Street Fighter movie and they were like, well, no one can have fireballs. I don't give a shit. Give them fireballs. Yeah. <laughs> Who fucking cares? In this universe, they have fireballs. Yeah. I don't need more than that. You're, at that point, you're overthinking it. Yeah. Uh, you can just do the iconography because that's what, that is why we're here. Yeah, but the, and we uh, get a lot of power-ups and some of them are cute. I like the cat one. The, the, I like the cat one because they actually have like Mario behave like a cat for a little bit. Like there's one brief shot where we see Mario and like the background of a scene and he's just like... 
pushing his paws up and down he's, on something he's, soft. Like, like muffing. Like, yeah. you know, Some people call it making biscuits. My yeah. family, we called it the mushy, mushy one-two. But, uh, <laughs> we, we just call it muffing. Yeah, a lot of people uh, call it making biscuits, but like that, that's a cute little bit. It's, it's, a, it's a nursing impulse that it cats is. have. Oftentimes yeah. it's because a cat was taken away from its mother yeah, yeah. a little too young. Um, uh, that, but, that, that, but that's a tiny detail. It's a tiny detail. It's not a whole movie. In fact, I only laughed like twice at this movie. It's supposed to be funny. There was that, and then there was a scene where... Uh, someone asks Princess Peach, who's that new guy? And she says, him? He's uh, his... not important! <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole bit. That's a funny... Yeah, that was kind of funny. It's a play uh, Anya Taylor-Joy plays Peach. She's fine. Uh, everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Day plays Luigi. He's fine. The only one who's actually, like... And not just, like, acting, but doing a character. Hmm. Because, like, Seth Rogen plays Donkey Kong in this, and he couldn't be bothered to be anyone but Seth Rogen. And apparently he told them, I'm, I'm going to do this as Seth Rogen. And they were like, fine. And that, that's so, been his approach a lot of the time. The yeah. only time you, I've you heard... You get him, Seth Rogen because you want Seth Rogen. I uh, get it. Did you ever see the Spiderwick Chronicles? It was no, one of those I missed YA the Spiderwick fantasy movies. Um, I missed it. I heard it was pretty good, actually. Uh, the main character like has this like little goblin friend, and that's Seth Rogen plays yeah. the, the voice of the goblin. And that's the one time I've heard him do like something voice. other than his own voice. Yeah. Kind of like tried to give him a, like a goblin voice. But I'll give Jack Black credit. He's actually... He, he brings Jack Blackisms to it. Like Bowser is a bit more musical in this version. Mm-hmm. But he's actually acting the character, and he sounds more like a Bowser would sound, rather than Jack Black playing Bowser in like a Saturday Night Live sketch kind of thing. Like that level of effort mm. goes into a lot of this. Um, so kudos for him, I guess. He, he's the one who, I think, uh, gets the MVP award in the acting. Yeah, I... I... Yeah. I would love to hear some of the outtakes. Yeah. You know that some of these actors wanted to go a little more blue. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and no, as Mario, it's, it has to be well, squeaky clean. But there are, uh, I guarantee you, there are outtakes. Yeah. There's, did you ever hear the Thundercats outtakes? I have. Yeah, those, those, those leaked about a decade ago. Oh, more and, uh, than a decade ago. I heard those when I was in college. But, oh, like, okay. yeah, there was the cast of Thundercats, this uh, classic, uh, not very good 1980s. Cla- classic. I say just, classic. It's just old. It was a hit show we grew up with. And I'm just going to, I'll call, I'll be generous and call it a classic. Fine. I've rewatched it since. It's not good. No, uh, no, it's no, not no, good at all. None of that crap. But it has a lot of like really pronounced character voices. Everyone's mm-hmm. very arch, and uh, they when they released an outtake, someone had apparently preserved where they mess up their lines and then they, they say start cussing. Yeah. They start cussing, but usually they say it. They, they don't break character because they're trying to keep the voice, uh-huh. so they get to hear snarf yeah. like like swear like a sailor. And it's <laughs> really funny. Snarf, snarf, oh, fuck you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's really cute. It's um, very fun. So yeah, I'll bet there's a lot of that. But this movie is made to be safe. And maybe they were concerned that because the first live action movie went so far afield, they were afraid to do anything different. Yeah. Like anything Even meaningfully slightly different. different. They were just like, no, we're going to be exactly what it said on the tin. This is going to be like watching someone play Mario, but mm. people talk more. And it is that. It's, it's a movie version of the Mario it, stuff. It's all of the... Uh, yeah. It's just... Uh, it's a way to deliver the iconography in sort of a vaguely cinematic way. And I know yeah. that's a lot A lot of what audiences just want out of Mario. They just I, want the I just film want version with you, that stuff in it. I just want it. what I was promised, man. And, and, the, and you're going to get it? You're going to yeah. get it. If you're, if, if you're one of those weird obsessives... Okay. ...who are still upset that a film from 1993 deviated from the <clears throat> Mario game... Right. You're gonna enjoy. Be, enjoy. You're gonna be fine now. Yeah. I uh, I compared this movie because a lot of people were like, "Ah, oh, critics are so out of it." And I and I on on Twitter, it blew up a little bit. Um, I said, you know, 
we have standards. Mm. Uh, and I feel like this movie is like going to McDonald's to eat. A lot of people enjoy McDonald's. I enjoy mm. McDonald's. It's, it's comforting. It's comfort food. That's what they specialize in. But it's, it's, it's plain. The flavors aren't very it's, complex. It's plain. It's, it's uncomplicated. The ingredients yeah. aren't amazing. It's comforting junk food. Mm. And that's not an awful thing. But it is also not very nutritious. It's also not especially tasty compared to some of the other available uh, uh, restaurants out there. Even any of your local restaurants probably have something with a little bit more substance, nutritional value, interesting palate. And I get it. It's it's for kids. But regardless, it's not a gourmet meal. It's not a particularly uh, interesting meal. It's fine if that's all you want. But it's also fine to say I want more than that. And, and, and I think you're within yeah. your rights. I think so. Need, if, if, you, if you enjoy yeah. good food, yeah. to look at a McDonald's hamburger and say, that's, I left that behind a long time ago. Yeah. That's barely food anymore. Or anymore. you can even say, I enjoy this, but it's not actually good. Mm. This is just reminding, I used to eat McDonald's as a kid, so this cheeseburger takes me back. That can be all the movie is. That's not... I think that's a cheap shot. I think any movie can do that pretty easily if you just don't try to be anything else. Mm. However, there's someone else who's brought up uh, uh, an interesting point. And I think it's fair, but it doesn't change my perspective on the movie. And my perspective on the movie is it's well-made, but unbelievably hollow. Mm. But uh, a few other people, but I I think B.J. Colangelo uh, articulated it most clearly. Uh, they were talking about how it is really hard to be a kid right now. Like, in addition to, like, existential threats like, like climate change and... and school shooters. School and, yeah. shooters and, uh, you know, like a lot of people are being, like, having their existence legislated out of mm. classrooms in certain states where you're not even allowed to talk about certain things. Uh, it's really, really hard to be a kid. And after COVID and all of these horrors that this generation has been through in particular, can we really begrudge them a bit of escapist entertainment? And the answer to that is absolutely not. We cannot begrudge them some escapist entertainment. Mm. If this movie brings you joy and you were miserable, that is a good thing. However, that doesn't necessarily make it a good movie or a great movie. It means it is the thing that brought you uh, some pleasure in a shallow way. And you could get that from anywhere. I was going to say, I'm not begrudging Mm -hmm. the practice of escape. Mm -hmm. I'm not begrudging a a movie because it's about Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. I'm begrudging a movie because it's not well made and because uh, there's better escapes than this. I think so. However, not necessarily in theaters right now, but I I don't have to judge on that curve. There's, I don't have to uh, judge a movie based on just it's out now. I don't think that's the I don't think that's the right mentality there, uh, to have when we review a movie. Is well, there's nothing better in theaters right now. Four stars. I don't think that's the way to go. It is there a a great animated movie about Super Mario Brothers? Maybe there is somewhere. Maybe in a parallel universe somewhere they made a much better movie than this, and that's the movie I want to see. Uh, I want to see something that actually brings something really exhilarating and imaginative into into kids' lives. Something that maybe 
litigates a little bit about what Mario is. It's sort of, you know, I called it a tale of night errantry. Mm, Maybe bring some of that element into yeah, it. Bring, Make it feel a little bit more medieval. Maybe a little um, more epic. That would be kind yeah, of cool. Uh, yeah. Like, like Le- 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 more D'Artour. I don't know. Just, <laughs> uh, well, there's even, there's even interpretations of the games. Uh-huh. Some of them are more headcanon-y than others, but that at least touch upon something. Like, this is much like the original anime film. Uh, this is a film in which Bowser wants to marry Princess Peach. That's his big goal. He wants to rule everything and marry Princess Peach. But it's been argued by some that Bowser in the games, because he's constantly kidnapping Princess Peach, mm. is actually like a political dissident. She represents a monarchy. Yeah. And he represents an underappreciated group of people. Mm. And he is trying to disrupt a system that does not work for them. So you could have had Bowser have a point. Mm. Even if we disagree with him, even if we think he's doing it badly, you could have had Bowser saying, I want to make the world right for for my folks. And then you could Mm. maybe end the movie with everyone living in harmony rather than... All uh, Koopa's bad, and, and you know? they, they go and they go go karting together, right? That would be nice, right? Why not? I mean, that that kind of cuts you off from sequels, but whatever. There are other villains. Uh, they introduce the idea that there are other worlds they could go to. Mm. I'm sure they're going to want to go to other Nintendo yeah, worlds down the line. They're going to go then, Smash Brothering. They're going to go. Uh, there, there was another. Another uh, another cartoon series I watched. N- Nintendo was huge in the late '80s. Like they yeah. exploded in the '80s, and they just leaked into all other media. There was Nintendo cereal for God's yeah. sake. Oh, I ate that Nintendo and, uh, cereal. I'm, uh, and you're alive. I, somehow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it was called Captain N, the Game Master, and that actually has a very similar premise. Uh, Captain N is a, kid. A, a, a human teenager on yeah. Earth. There's actually live action footage in the opening segment. Yeah, uh, and. A, a, a portal opens up in his television while he's playing Nintendo mm-hmm. and he's sucked into Nintendo world mm-hmm. where all of the video games live. Yeah. And, uh, he has his controller, like it's his belt buckle yeah. and he has a zapper, which is a Nintendo appliance yeah. and those work in Nintendo world. So he's kind of super powered. Yeah. He can like pause the world yeah. and like, move like around. yeah, he like stops yeah. time and, um, and he gets and the team up the, with the, the princess is in there and she's sort of like the generic princess from a lot of different video games. Yeah. She's an amalgam. But he also teams uh, up with Mega Man, Simon Belmont from Cat. Castlevania and, and Kid Icarus and Kid Icarus and then eventually later like I think the last season he teamed up with just Game Boy that's right was the a Game personification Boy. of the Game was Boy it, yeah, was, yeah and he fought uh, who did he fight he fought the Mother I, Brain fought Mother Brain from Metroid and she had her she had, I think she had two henchmen one was King Hippo from Punch-Out and the other was the Eggplant Wizard from uh, from Kid Icarus oh I forgot about that yeah, yeah. okay yeah and uh, then and then yeah, there'd be Brain. another villain popped up from mm-hmm. another game where they and, uh, meet like um uh, who are some of the other? They, they, um, they met Donkey Kong. It was a villain in that one. Um, they, they, they met the who's who's like the the Atari version of uh, uh, Indiana Jones. Pitfall. Pitfall. The, the guy from Pitfall. The, the, Pitfall, Pitfall Harry. Pitfall Harry. I sure. think his name was Pitfall Harry. They met Pitfall Harry. Is his name really Pitfall Harry? I think so. Or maybe they don't meet Pitfall. I think was there Johnson there like, Q Pitfall. Um, they, they met like a Crocodile Dundee type guy. I remember oh, okay. being Pitfall Harry, but maybe I'm confused. Was it Bayou Billy? It was. <laughs> They met Bayou Billy, oh and then there was the classic episode mm. of Where they the original played Adventures of Lolo. No, no, the original, the the classic episode of one of the Mario cartoons. Uh. I think it was the the the. I don't remember which one it was, right. but there was one of the Mario cartoons where where the princess was a character, and uh, her favorite band in all of the universes was Millie Vanilli. 
So they went to a Millie Vanilli concert, oh, and wow. Millie Vanilli played themselves. That's really funny. Yeah, or someone played them. I was anyway. about to say, did Robin Fab <laughs> play them? I can't say with absolute certainty. <laughs> or did the singers play? Look up the scandal around Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of a sad that, story. That bit's but, um, dated very badly. Uh, Jesus. Uh, point being, we already... Oh, and uh, Mother Brain was played by Levi Stubbs. From, yeah, yeah. From the Four Tops, and also played Audrey too. So she sounds just like Audrey yeah. too, which is great. Uh, great, great choice for a voice, yeah. but um, we've had that now. Yeah. We've already had this sort of amalgam video game crossover universe. Crossovers clearly don't have the appeal they once did. Uh, you can see it kind of flagging in all of this interconnected superhero stuff. People, uh-huh. this is just would, a general impression, but it seems yeah. people are care a little bit less than they did like they, maybe five, six years ago. I think they care when they really care about the characters, and I think Marvel put in the work. I think the DC Extended Universe didn't. They jumped into it a little too fast for those versions of the characters to have uh, people's, like, hearts the way that a lot Mm. of the Marvel characters each had their own movie, for example. So it meant something more to them when that Avengers movie came out than when Justice League came out after only a couple of films. I would argue that Nintendo is probably going to do better with this because they are aggressively not changing those characters at all. No. That is exactly the character from the game. Yeah. You met Donkey Kong, great. If you're going to meet, meet all the other characters from the games, it's exactly no, the I'll one you know from the games. You know them already. Kate, you already care. Kate Blanchett to play Samus Aran. And, I, I, honestly, and, Metroid's like the one. And Tom Hardy will play Mega Man. And, the only the, Well, know. Mega Man is Capcom. I oh, don't know. Right, Nintendo yeah, doesn't fine. have that. Nintendo has their own stuff. So you get Star Fox... You could get oh, uh, uh, Legend of Zelda. I'm sure they're yeah, going to want to. Oh, do absolutely! That. That's, that, that's that's the next big. I'll one, bet I'm sure. it is. Um, yeah. uh, if if you pay five extra bucks at the box office for Super Mario Brothers, you get Zelda as an unlocked character. She appears in the movie. That was a dumb joke. That was, I have a, that was a really stupid joke. Yeah. I have a theory um, because they don't say in the movie where Peach came from. She comes from Earth. Well, she uh, comes from uh, another dimension. It's implied, but she said she came from another dimension. But she also says there are other dimensions. I think they want you to think she's from Earth. I think we're going to find out that she's actually Zelda. She's Princess Zelda. Or something like that. We're going to find out she's from another game or something like that. And that's the excuse uh, they're going to have to go to another game in the second movie. I I think they set that up. The one I want to see is my favorite Nintendo game, which uh, nobody else likes but me. Uh, It came out in 1990. What is it? No, it it came out in 1990. It was called Star Tropics. And and it was uh, like an island adventure story or you're sort of boring American teenage boy and uh, you're armed with a yo-yo and you have to beat up monsters in dungeons and you solve puzzles and end up finding out that your uncle has been kidnapped by aliens so it ends mm-hmm. up going into space and yeah. you know, it's kind of a little surreal big very difficult and I yeah. ended up beating it so I was very proud of myself Nintendo property mm-hmm. they made a sequel nobody cared yeah the sequel is like I think the very last game they made for the NES oh. no the last so, game they made for the NES was um I remember reading about it in a magazine. This is the last game they ever released. I think it was... There's that or Mega Man 6. No, I think, it, like I think it was of... actually an adaptation of the Jungle Book. Oh, it was the last game. It was like a Jungle game. Book okay. video game or something like that. Um, I have the one vi- Nintendo game I actually think would make a good movie. Because like, I think it would actually make a good movie. Mm. Um, it was a game for the Nintendo 64 called Blast Core. Blast Core. I only made one of them. But it was really, really cool. And it was basically like an interesting twist on the Wages of Fear idea. And the idea is there's a runaway train. Or runaway, you know, speeding vehicle uh-huh. that's like plowing through the countryside, and it's full of like a nuclear bomb or toxic chemicals or something. And if it is stopped in any way, if it is, uh, you know, jumps the track, anything at all, we're all doomed. Hmm. 
But instead of doing something like, I don't know, playing the conductor or something like that, you play a demolitions team that is responsible for blowing up everything in its path so that it has a clear path. And it's like going through like towns and cities and things. So you have to destroy everything in order to save everything else. And you know what? That's fun. That's, that was a fun game. That's, that was uh, a fun premise. You could do something with that. Uh, I'm just saying. It'd be fun. You're, you have yeah, to, you yeah. have to, you're, you're a wrecking crew and you have to destroy this entire urban area in a time limit. Sounds good. Yeah, or everyone dies. Yeah. That's a great premise. I would love to watch that. Anyway, uh, anyway but, uh, yeah, yeah. back tomorrow. We, we should wrap this well, up and move on. Speaking of... Um, yeah, M- movies that were made to forward the agenda of corporate America. We have oh. another one of those this week as well. Yeah, we did. Ben Affleck directed a movie called Air, and this is about uh, the creation of the Air Jordan shoe, uh, which is a product uh, created by Nike, mm. which in the early 80s was not a particularly powerful force in the shoe market. And indeed, they actually had trouble getting uh, uh, famous celebrity sports people Mm-hmm. to sign up to promote their shoes. Uh, Matt Damon plays a guy who uh, is is told that, um, you know, we, we might phase out basketball shoes altogether because that's just not our market. But he's like, I see a lot of pr- hope and promise in this one rookie named Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks he's great, but I think he's going to be one of the greatest who ever lived. And o- I Already th- a celebrity. Already a celebrity, but not in the NBA yet. He's like celebrity in like, college and he wasn't the first draft pick so it was someone they could possibly afford but it is still probably outside of their budget and so he's saying i go i think we should go all in on this guy and we should not only sign him but build the brand around him rather than him just saying i like nike shoes we sell michael jordan shoes Mm. that's the new gimmick and it's all about him trying to convince his bosses that this is a good idea, trying to convince Michael Jordan's mother, played by Viola Davis, that this is a good mm-hmm. idea, and yeah. then trying Mike, to get Michael through... Jordan is in it, but we like he's filmed from behind. Yeah, he's like, never he's out of focus. Like he, he doesn't. He's the focus of the story, yeah. but he's not a primary character mm-hmm. within it directly. Um, and it's all about him. Like I've got this idea, and everyone's against me. And I got to tell you, on a pure narrative construction basis, mm-hmm. uh, that's a good framework to start a story. I have an idea. Everyone in the audience knows it's a good idea. We or, don't need or, to be sold. because well, we, we know it's going to work out. Well, anyway, that's what I mean. Yeah. We know it's going to be profitable and for and for everyone involved, and it will happen. But to know that it was difficult to pull off, mm. and to see how difficult it was to pull off, and to see how close it came to not coming together, is at the very least, like in a very objective, here's the engine of suspense that we have created, kind of dramatically satisfying as a screenplay. Yeah. Uh. One, you could argue that it, because it's a foregone conclusion, it's not. But well, however, but I do it, think I think Ben Affleck is a canny enough filmmaker that he is able to get me like interested in seeing, if not whether it happens, but how it could have when yeah. it seemed so unlikely. Yeah, um, Ben Affleck directed. He played. He plays Phil Knight. Yeah. The uh, the longtime CEO of, of Nike for uh, uh, mm. who I was introduced to Phil Knight through, uh, by Michael Moore yeah. uh, in in the mid nineties. Michael Moore made a film called The Big One where uh, he actually got Phil Knight in the room with him yeah. and said to him, "Hey, did you know that your sneakers are made in sweatshops in Indonesia?" Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh yes, we have facilities there. I have plane tickets. 
let's go. You're the CEO. You should know about this shit. Uh-huh. And of course, Phil Knight said no. He didn't, of course he didn't. didn't get Phil Knight on a plane. This is um, something that the movie glosses over that act- dramatically. aspect. What I appreciate about Air, yeah. I actually really like Air. Okay. Um, it's it's very funny. The characters mm-hmm. are all very human. They have uh, yeah. really funny ways of communicating with one another. Yeah, there's good dialogue. Uh, they're, they're old friends that kind of hate each other, so there's a lot yeah. of like animosity between certain characters. I really love Chris Messina mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. Michael Jordan's agent. He's very, very funny. Yeah. He spends the entire movie on the phone. I think he has like two scenes in the room with another and character. And it's like, <laughs> like the most horrendous yuppie you've ever seen. Yeah, because this, this is like the... the, the like early 90s. Yeah. But he's, but he's uh, funny and he's selling oh, the part really well. It's mid-80s yeah. and... and yeah. Uh, what Ben and it has a fantastic screenplay uh, because what yeah. Ben Affleck has done Very is he's sharp. taken um, and I was reminded of the movie Draft Day, another movie I actually really like. Sure, I like that movie uh, a lot too. Which takes a lot of these really dull, uninteresting pieces of a corporate enterprise mm-hmm. and looks for the drama inside of that. Yeah, uh, is the Air Jordan an important shoe? A lot of people bought it. That's all I can say. I mean, it makes uh, a fortune to this day. Yeah, a lot of. A lot, yeah. And um, and it helped the, cement Michael Jordan's celebrity, but his talent would have done that anyway. It it, it helped cement celebrity. It, it's 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 a piece of pop ephemera. Well, the and, and the movie argues it's, that because Michael Jordan wound up and you know actually making money off of mm. this, that it was uh, it's in some way helping. It in some way helped players get more of a piece of the multi billion dollar yeah, enterprise. A, a lot of that uh, relies on them, but doesn't always pay them very well. Yeah, a, lo- yeah. a lot of these big enterprises exploit the players, and yeah. it was the the success of the Air Jordan kind of. Changed that for the better, at least in small ways. According to the movie. Um, I, I I don't care about the Air Jordan. Yeah. I don't think, even if you... I will like, say this, even it's if a pretty to, shoe. The one that they yeah. create for, like, like, it was the original one. I was like, you know what? It's a good-looking shoe. Yeah. And, I can't and, deny it. And, and it was, it was big. It was also expensive. That's not yeah. something they mentioned in the movie. Um, I, I recall there was a scandal uh, when... That shoe and uh, a couple of years later, uh, the pump by Reebok uh, mm-hmm. came out and the it, it had a little oh, button yeah. and you could sort of pump it up and there were little airbags inside the shoe yeah. that would inflate and tighten. Allegedly, I had uh, those uh-huh. and I pumped them up and I was like, I feel no fucking difference whatsoever. Yeah, the idea is that, oh, when you get ready to play, you pump it up and, and it's like you're flying. And some yeah, it, it's and like, like tighter it, around your foot somehow. If anyone, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. If anyone had those shoes like me. Uh-huh. And actually thought it made a meaningful difference in your running, your playing, whatever it was, when you pumped them up. When you could tell, like, I feel like I'm taller. Mm-hmm. I I was a little kid. I, there's no reason why I shouldn't have been able to tell the difference, like, mm-hmm. you know, because of my weight or anything like that. Because I was like, yeah, it's not designed. It was designed for kids or whatever like that. Not the adults. No, 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 no. No fucking difference whatsoever. Yeah. If anyone had a better experience with those shoes than me, please let me know. Our email address is letters at kfaclaim.net. <laughs> I want to hear your your pump stories. Yeah, if you had the pump by Reebok. Uh, yeah. I never got a pump. I yeah. wanted I wanted a pump. But yeah. um a little overrated, I thought. They were so popular. Like, there were scandalous stories. Who knows how true these actually were? They sound yeah. like JD scare stories yeah. of uh, people getting mugged and having their shoes stolen. Just I remember hearing about were, that. Were yeah. so, don't so don't wear those shoes out in public. Um, You'll, like, get something, them stolen. something Ben Affleck does in Air as yeah. a director is that uh, he frequently cuts away to a lot of. Just sort of the the pop texture of the time. There's a lot of clips from what's going on in TV, some news stories, what's Mm -hmm. going on, pictures of Ronald Reagan, and a lot of shots of people in the background 
using 80s technology, uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, green dot matrix uh, green screen computers and dot yeah. matrix printers reminding uh, you just how different it was yeah and, and, on a day-to-day basis but in so doing he's actually creating an entire cultural texture of how uh america was obsessed with stuff at the time yeah. it wasn't about the culture of the 80s because the culture of the 80s was consumer culture yeah uh and it was just about the things and what he's doing is taking one of those things out of this sea of dingy garbage and saying people worked really hard to contribute to this sea of trash. Yeah. I'm guessing that Ben Affleck probably doesn't have a lot of romantic feelings about the Air Jordan. Mm. Uh, The movie kind of does, but I think the movie is looking at it through the kinds of people who devoted themselves to that. Yeah, I still question that decision in the summer card. and Ben Affleck plays Phil Knight, and he wisely plays Phil Knight as kind of a buffoon. I think that was the smartest uh, decision, yeah. maybe, in the whole movie. Like, because... he's, he's kind of an idiot. He's yeah. a little bit of a comedic character. The, ben, the, the Matt Damon character uh-huh. uh, is a, a more serious, dramatic lead. Yeah. No, I like, there's this one but, bit in the movie where uh, Phil Knight has to, uh, we, when they have, like, a big meeting, mm. uh, he's all like, no, here's what you, you're going to come in and you're going to say this. Yeah. This is like, you're going to be acting a bit. And Phil Knight's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Turns out Phil Knight is not a good actor. No. <laughs> he completely whips it. And you know what? That's very funny. It's it's, it's very v- yeah. it's very funny and it's very appropriate because it shows that the kinds of people, these titans of industry, mm. are idiots contributing nothing. And yet, at the end and of the movie, of, argues that they contributed a lot. Uh, the, in, in those end chirons, a little bit. Yeah, that, that that's the thing that I struggle with because... But I feel like, yeah. uh, and, and that's a way to leave it on an inspiring note. It and I is. Feel I like just think it, it, there, it kind there's, of there's a little bit more of a cynical way to tell the story, but I think that would have left it a little flat. And I, uh, in yeah. a weird way, uh, me, a guy who typically loves a cynical ending, yeah. uh, is feels like this was a little bit more appropriate for the kind of story that uh, mm-hmm. Ben Affleck was trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And I think in delving into this accoutrement this mm. little this trinket that sort of came out of this uh consumer culture of the 1980s right uh and turning it into something like kind of epic and hollywood yeah uh kind of had it both ways mm-hmm. i think it it gave you the inspiring ending which left for a much more satisfying story mm-hmm. but at the same time i think it does have a little bit uh, a pang of bitterness about how something like the Air Jordan mm. was considered legitimately important at one point. Well, I think it's I think it, here's the problem uh. for me. They're they're claiming it's important now just because it's worth making this kind of a big movie about it. Mm. So, I don't think it was oh, back in the 80s was important. I think they're arguing that right now well, it's important. There, there was I another movie that did this very same thing mm-hmm. that we just reviewed. It was uh-huh. called Tetris. Yes. And it was about the making of that video game, Tetris. Yes. And I think that one was and, more uh, interested in the larger context surrounding it and was also mm. more interested in Tetris not as just a product to mm. sell but as a creation mm. of an of an artist uh, like someone in, who actually a, like wanted to out, out of a, a political milieu that didn't yeah. value that kind and of I, and I liked uh, Tetris and I'm gonna make it clear here I mostly like air I don't know if there's a better way to yeah. tell this story my well, issue well, uh, I'll, I'll let you finish, but then I'd like to make my point. Of course. Uh, I just wanted to say that what Tetris did yeah. was uh, try to add a little bit of, of whimsy to it. Yeah. Like, all of this is going uh, uh, going on behind the scenes over something like Tetris, and isn't that funny that something like kind mm. of whimsical got all this hefty political intrigue behind it? And I think it's trying to 
mine that element for humor in Tetris. There's sure. all these weird stylistic choices. We're making the world seem like a video game. I think a lot, shots I, I think so, I think they overplayed that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, I yeah. think with Air, they're telling it's a little bit wiser to tell the story earnestly sure. because these were people who took it seriously. I, I appreciate that. But here's mm-hmm. my point with Air, and I just want to make it clear. First off, again, I mostly like this movie. There's right. a lot to admire in this movie. There's a great scene at the end where Viola Davis is just on the phone with Matt Damon, and Viola Davis, I mean, this should surprise no one, she fucking kills that scene. She's great. The, the woman's an EGOT now. She's, no, she's, she's a legend. Yeah. And she's absolutely amazing, and if you, if you needed more evidence, you shouldn't, but it's here. She's great. That scene is great, really well written. Uh, there's a lot of good writing in it. Um, but it's one of those movies where... I think the fact of its existence undermines its existence a little bit. Because you say, like, oh, it's a little cynical about the creation of Air Jordan. It can't be. It's about the creation of the Air Jordan. It is arguing that it is significant simply through the fact that it exists. And those ending chirons where they talk about how important this was cement that. So any sort of attempt to take this down a bit falls a little flat. And I think uh, the scene where I was totally with the movie for a while, and the scene where I started realizing that I was questioning this. There's a scene where Jason Bateman, who plays Matt Damon's boss or co-worker, they work in the same department. I I think he's his boss. Um, He's talking about how we we have sweatshops Uh in a couple of different countries. And the acknowledgement of that takes up up one sentence. And and you could argue, well, they brought it up. I would argue that the following undermines it. Because he says... I should feel bad about the sweatshops, but when I think about, you know, going all in on this Michael Jordan deal and potentially losing my job and everyone in the department losing my job, uh, what I really think about is my daughter. Mm. I'm divorced. I only get to see her once a week. But every time I see her, I bring her a new pair of shoes. And if I can't bring her those shoes, she's not going to love me anymore. Mm. And I'm like, so what you're saying Uh is that you want us to be more invested in this guy buying his child's love than sweatshop labor. And okay. that right and there that is that's the 80s, isn't it? It is the 80s, but I don't think the movie is being aware of that. I think the movie uh, has chosen I, the wrong time uh-huh. to acknowledge that point. Okay. And I think that that is something that I was um I did a great podcast. Uh, not because I was in it, but because it's a great podcast uh from uh from the movie guys. They've got a show called Ford Fiesta. Okay. And they're watching every single movie that has ever had Harrison Ford in it. All right. <laughs> and it's really, really fun. And those guys it's are good very, name, very good funny. Name for it, yeah. I, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> that's such a good the, idea. The Ford Fiesta. It's so cool. But listen, that's a very, very good show. And they're doing it all in order. And you should totally listen to it. I enjoy it a lot. I don't have time to listen to a lot of other podcasts because we're too busy making them. But when I do, that's one of the shows I listen to. I think it's really, really fun. Um, but I did one for them where we talked about Working Girl, which is a movie that I very much love. And someone brought up, there was like a question from the from the audience, a point about Working Girl that I hadn't really consciously thought of in this context. Mm-hmm. Because that, the that, that work- she's aspiring to be soulless exactly. at the end of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because like we we celebrate Working Girl because she breaks through the glass ceiling and she gets this big business deal done, and that's great for her. But at the end of the movie, while like the music swells and you're feeling really really good about yourself, someone brought up it's like, what did she actually accomplish? <laughs> well, she helped create now, now a she... major multimedia monopoly. Uh, now she too is a soulless yuppie. Yeah, it's yeah. like, but the movie isn't aware of that. The movie isn't well, the, making that point. That that's, movie, that's something that the movie uh, wants to 
not deal with because it's trying to be more positive. Mm-hmm. And I think Air is trying, it has that in there, but I think it's so, working so hard to make this an underdog story mm-hmm. that I think that there, and they, there are ways to have actually engaged with this and then still had that story. Okay. And I think it's better to do that than to just ignore it altogether, which they mm-hmm. almost did and practically did. Um, I think it would have been better for the film to have a bit more acknowledgement about that. Mm-hmm. Whilst and you can, everything else still works, yeah, the, you can I, still yeah, do everything I think, else. I think I think they I think they chickened out a little bit. I, I think they wisely. I, I think a lot of that is still in there. I think they could have played that a little harder. Really well. um, I, I think this is an I a movie that does is acknowledging that it's celebrating like a certain kind of shallowness. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that uh, Matt Damon gives this big sort of inspirational speech wow. about sort of the value of everything at the end it's, uh, it's is, is really cu- heavy. It's, it's heavy handed. Really and, and they even and it's acknowledge like, where they, he's predicting the future with like weird. Laser well, and, and so, yeah. And somebody like yeah. comes out and they kind of say in this like really kind of dry way, great speech. <laughs> it's like, selling shoes like yeah. there there's a, an element of absurdity to to air that i think really nailed mm-hmm. uh kind of how shallow what they were doing really was and yet how important it was to them at the same time yeah. there's a, a character who shows up part way through the movie mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's cameo so i don't want to say who it is but mm-hmm. um he has a, a very legitimately valuable object in his collection yeah it's a, he, is, he um, has he has a speech about this object and it sets up a scene later in the movie yeah it sets up a scene yeah. later in the movie it's a, it's and, a scene it's a scene that Probably could have been a phone call, but they could but, have been a phone call. But, but they add the moment they, to have an actor in and have a good moment. They, they it, let, it works. It they works. left it in, and yeah. I think the the point was that thing that he had this object in his collection mm-hmm. does have value. Yes, and and I think equating this to that is no, well, kind of fucked up. I, I think it showed that. There's not a comparison between those two things. I think that I I think if that's the case, I think they whiffed it a little bit because oh, they're well. arguing that it is. I, but, I, I saw it as just the opposite. But yeah, well, I, it's up for interpretation a little bit. Listen, I, I criticize this element because I think the movie is really good uh-huh. and could have been a little better. Yeah. And I think that's a little frustrating. And this is kind of my pro- one of the problems I had with Argo as well is that I felt like in an effort to make Argo a movie uh-huh. and satisfying on this sort of like thriller kind of way Mm -hmm. uh ben affleck ended up manipulating the facts of the story uh and making them for me less interesting more feel good sure less interesting and less mature Mm -hmm. and i see that here to a different extent uh but it's again the acting is really really good the writing is mostly really really tight i have some issues with it but i i mostly really like this movie and i do recommend it as well Mm -hmm. uh we gotta move on uh let's talk about Oh, let's just get this fucking thing out of the way. Let's talk about paint. So I, I, like I said, I didn't see paint, yeah. so tell me about paint. Well, let me put it this way. Paint, it's a new comedy starring Owen Wilson as a painter, uh, is very dry. And if you want to watch paint dry... Hey, look what you did. This is the film. Oh, look at Mr. Gene Shalit over here. <laughs> oh, God, I wish. <laughs> oh, what a dream. Like, Gene Shalit is one of the titans of our craft. If you don't know Gene Shalit, he's not as well known today. Gene Shalit was well, one he, of the he retired other... retired a long time ago. He retired yeah. a long, long time ago, and he's not he's, as... He's, he's like 95 he's now. Not, yeah. He's still around. He's not as heavily discussed today uh, as Siskel and Ebert, but there was a time when he was the other TV film critic. Excuse me, he, uh, Gene Shalit is 97. Wow. Good for him. But he yeah. was, my point is this. Just in the 80s, years old. he was also on TV. He was, like, there was Siskel and Ebert. Everyone knew them. And then you knew Gene Shalit. And Gene Shalit's whole shtick 
was that he was trying to review a movie, but he wanted to make you laugh. Hmm. And he was the king of puns. Like, he would come up with a pun. Like One of the things I love about being a film critic is that it's one of the few artistic mediums where puns are still allowed. And Gene well, Shallot was I'm a trail... Not, shut up, I'm not Pete, sure if I'd up. say that. Gene Shallot was a trailblazer <laughs> in the art of the movie review yeah. pun. Um, he, he was so popular... When I used to work at a store called Laser Blazer, which was the last store in Los Angeles that sold laser discs. Besides, like, a used record store that might have a few mm. in the back. Like... But uh, Gene Shalit had his own line of laser discs where they would release like an obscure old movie, and rather than have like the name and the production art emblazoned on the laser disc, mm-hmm. it was just Gene Shalit's face and then like one picture of the movie in the lower corner. Mm-hmm. That's how big Gene Shalit was. He could move laser discs. Yes. Okay. Well, here's here, here's a good uh, Gene Shalitism. Um, uh, well, to me, funny people is passable. Speaking colonically. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's, That's a funny. good one, yeah. That's funny. It's funny. Anyway. Um, yeah, he was, he was the film critic on the, the Today Show for like... Many years. Almost, almost 40 years. Like yeah. he did for a long time. Wonderful. Anyway. Um, Paint is... Again, so Owen Wilson plays this guy, and he's not Bob Ross, but he acts just like Bob Ross. He's got the big hair. He's got mm. the beard. He's very, very chill. He draws a lot of landscapes. And he's like, okay, we're just going to draw a happy little brook here. And uh, here's a blackberry bush. I wonder how many blackberries are on it. Like that kind of thing. A lot of people want, and Bob Ross was on public access TV for many, many years. Uh, for many years. I think yeah. starting in the seventies. I actually don't know the whole history of Bob Ross. I knew a little um, bit. I, I couldn't like name any yeah. names or anything like that. But he was a good yeah. painter, and he his he, whole he, thing was he taught painting. Yes, yeah. like here's how to do painting uh, in a way that you can do it. Like he tried yeah. to make art a lot more accessible. He was very encouraging, and, uh, and a lot of people. And I think I think you can still watch some of them on Netflix. At least you could. Um, you could just watch that, and you can just chill the fuck out yeah, for I, your evening. A, a lot of people. It'll, it'll help you go to sleep, and not in a bad way. In like a good, relaxing. I know a lot Bob of people, Ross has uh, got this. You don't have to do anything. He'll do the painting. I, I, I've met a couple of people who confess to uh, watching Bob Ross while uh, a, a little bit altered. Sure, uh, they they would get high and watch Bob to- Ross. And you know what? That's if that's a good and, uh, example of something to smoke out to because yeah, chill vibes. Sometime in the mid two thousands, mm. when uh, when irony was um, maybe a li- <laughs> like a hair too high, yeah. um, Bob Ross became something of a cult figure. Uh, yeah. He. People started making T-shirts with Bob Ross well, and latching onto phrases like "Happy Little Trees" and mm-hmm. you know there, what was it? Was it saying there's no uh, there's no mistakes, just happy accidents? Yeah, and, and you know it was always very that sort of encouraging stuff. And then he became sort of a camp figure uh, during this era. He, we we appreciate his calmness, but we're also kind of laughing at him a little bit because he's got the big hair and the funny beard and. Uh, Bob Ross never emerged as an important artist. He was more of a celebrity figure. Um, I don't know anybody who like tried to get a Bob Ross painting, for instance, yeah. or has one in their home. Uh, uh, the the tragedy well, the tragedy of Bob Ross. Bob Ross died in the mid nineties, and um, Bob Ross wasn't super commercial. He didn't want you know to be like a brand, really. Um, so yeah, but somebody, his, somebody else did that to him. Yeah, so. A bunch of uh, a group of people basically uh, stole the rights to Bob Ross from his oh. family. They they argued that his uh, everything he had done was like work for hire, and he didn't have the rights to any of it. And they got it all, and all they cared about was exploiting the brand. So if you see, like I was at someone's house for a party, and they had a Bob Ross board game. I didn't know this about it yet. Fun game, mm. 
But at the same time... But it's a Bob Ross board game. At, yeah. the, at the same time, the money that goes into buying that game goes into some real assholes. I'm trying to well, who designed the game meant well, it, but like... It's pro- Bob Ross is a state. You know, somebody's it, approving of this stuff. Uh, they, but they, 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 took, they took it away from his family. Oh, That's no, the thing. They like they wrenched it all away from the, So it's pretty fucked up. But anyway, Bob Ross is a bit of a cultural institution. Uh, people people know Bob Ross. Mm. He is the face of painting on television, which isn't a very large genre of, of television, but there were others. Um, in any case, Owen Wilson is doing a caricature of Bob Ross. He's not actually doing Bob Ross. I assume they wanted to or no. they thought about it, but it didn't work out. Does uh, the movie like or hate Bob Ross? That's a good question. All right. This is actually my biggest problem. I have two big problems with this movie. The first one is that it's not funny. Uh-huh. That's the worst thing you can say about a comedy, really, is that it just it isn't funny. And a lot of comedies aren't particularly funny, but they're just kind of amiable. Yeah. You know, I didn't really laugh out loud, but I like I smirked to myself a lot. I had a good time. And while those might not be the best comedies ever made, I'm also not going to be too harsh on those movies, provided that I, I felt like I had a good time. It cheered me up a little. Mm-hmm. Um. This is a broad comedy with a lot of silliness in it, and I think I laughed once. Yeah, that's no. not good. That's no. I'm very open to this. I think Owen Wilson can be very, very funny. I like slow, dry humor. Like I think that can be really, really great. Like the idea is that Owen Wilson's character is just really fucking mellow. Okay. And that that's a joke you can come back to over and over again. That can be funny in a lot they of put, different contexts. Extreme situations. They it's forget to do that. Oh, wow. <laughs> they, forget, they forget to put him in extreme situations where that's inappropriate. So it doesn't really read as good humor. Um, it also is a movie that this is, this, and that's, that's actually a big part of it is when you build a movie around a character, especially a broad character, uh, the gag is what'll they do next? Yeah. What. I understand this character, so putting them in a weird situation could be funny. Uh, the character Owen Wilson plays is so ill-defined that it seems to change from scene to scene. Like, depending on the scene, he is either a Lothario who is sleeping with every single person or has slept with every single person in the in their uh-huh. you know PBS outlet. Uh, or he's like a comp- there I guess he could be it's, it's funny that this guy who's like so laid back is a Lothario I can kind of see the joke there um but we only ever see him be really bad at it so the joke mm. that he's a sexual dynamo mm. is completely undermined by the joke that he's not and you can't do both they that's not a joke that's two joke premises that could contradict each other and leave me feeling nothing and not laughing at anything. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. The plot of the movie is... He's been doing this for many decades. It takes place in the present day. Mm-hmm. But aside from a couple of jokes about how like he doesn't know what an Uber is, this could have been set in the 80s and no one would ever fucking uh, know. Yeah. It feels really arbitrary. It feels like they didn't want to justify the expense of like getting a bunch of older cars. Mm-hmm. So you just made it in the present day, even though it would have made more sense as a period piece. Yeah. Um, he's been doing this for a really long time and he's a local celebrity but uh, they bring in a another painting show host uh, a younger woman who had actually grown up watching his show 
Okay. Uh, and, and she starts to supplant him, I'm sure. She starts to supplant him. She does know. things a little differently. She paints more imaginative things. She paints a UFO. And everyone's like, oh, I don't know about this, but people like it. And so she becomes more popular. And then he becomes less popular. And then finally, like, he, he starts, like, losing his job. And people who used to, like, you know, worship him don't anymore. Does he and, stay mellow through through his fall? or does Yeah, he... pretty much. All right. I, that's not the problem. The problem is it's not funny. The problem uh. is the plot is wafer thin. And it kind of he kind of learns like the importance of like painting something the, the movie argues that he his downfall as an artist at least was that he never pushed himself that he only uh. did these landscapes which a little harsh on bob ross by proxy but regardless there's something there mm-hmm. and by the end of the movie he does paint something a little bit more meaningful to him and there's so there's a story um but like the rivalry storyline is, doesn't have nearly enough juice to it. Uh, the all like every fucking joke falls flat. Mm. It's just not funny. The trailer for Paint edits the jokes better than the movie does. <laughs> oh no! So if you watch the trailer, you've seen the funnier version of the movie. I saw the trailer and I was like, that could be funny. I could see that. That could be cute. And then I'm watching the movie. I'm like, can this be funny? Can this be cute? <laughs> and apparently the answer is no, not really. No. Uh, it's a real bummer. It's a real bummer. It's it's a comedy that made me feel worse after I watched it. Not because it was like mean, which can be a thing. Like I I can like reject a comedy just because I think the jokes are in poor taste or you know mm. uh, picking on the wrong people, and I find it just I I don't enjoy laughing at that. Uh, this one is just it just wasn't made very well. Mm. It's just a shame. It's too bad. Well, tell me about a documentary that you saw this this week. I, I suppose I can. I actually didn't see this this week. Um, this was oh well, then of, fuck it then. I don't care. Well, this is part of a film festival that ah. I saw last year. Oh, never mind. Uh, it, it opened at a film festival. That's when I saw it. But it's finally open to the public. Um, it's on a, a service called Screambox, and uh, it's called Living with Chucky. And uh, Living with Chucky is a documentary examining. The Child's Play phenomenon. Uh, Child's Play was a film conceived of by uh, Don Mancini, who's one of the screenplay uh, writers of the screenplays, produced by David Kirshner. He, he actually uh, wrote every single installment of the series, which at least until the yeah. TV show, which very few movie series keep the same screenwriter the entire time. That's a very rare thing. So he's he's actually been in, even though he's had a lot of studio notes, he's had creative control over this thing since the beginning. Yeah, and r- yeah. at some point, I think around Bride of Chucky, the fourth film, yeah. he kind of became the official head honcho of the, the Child's yeah, Play. Yeah, there started writers. to be fewer notes, and he and started they, to have about a lot more. So say. He, he directed yeah, he made, the fifth one and yeah, yeah he made he, uh ronnie Yu directed bride of chucky yeah, and that, that and That's they a great movie. they tur- bride of chucky is is yeah. pretty fantastic uh the original was made by tom holland back mm-hmm. in 1988 and it, it and, still uh, plays it's, it's still really it's good still really scary yeah. um the idea is a serial killer is called the lakeshore strangler mm-hmm. charles lee ray is played by brad Dourif. he's on the run from the police the police is represented by chris sarandon and he's trapped in a toy warehouse mm. and when he, when he's shot and he's dying he uh evokes some kind of magical spell uh-huh. and shunts his soul into one of the dolls yeah and, and uh, the doll is the hot toy of the season yeah so it's it's kind yeah. of a, a 
kind of like a spoof of Cabbage Patch Kids, which it had is. come out a few yeah. years previous. Yeah. Uh, you know, what What if the hot Christmas toy you've mm. been, you know, killing other adults to get for your kids is actually like possessed by a killer? Yeah. What if What if the, the, the toy that your kid befriends, mm. which a lot of toys at the time, like my buddy, yeah. were like very much about this. Like what if that was an unwholesome influence in mm. a very creepy way? Yeah. Uh, I, I have a bit of a personal connection to Child's Play. Oh, that's right. I forgot about this. Uh, yeah. a, a bit. Uh, I, I know somebody was involved with it. When I was a kid, mm. um, the, the child voice actor who played Chucky prior to his possession. Yeah, the one that uh, just the one with the voice box. That just yeah, the, the voice like, box. I'm yeah. Chucky. Want to play? I, I, I went to school with that, the kid who did nice. those voices. Nice. Um, his name is Don Gross. He was also in a movie called uh, And You Thought Your Parents Were Weird. Oh, where, I forgot about that which one. Which was, had a similar premise, where he and his older brother uh, built a robot, and it was struck by lightning and possessed by the soul of their dead father. That was the premise it's of that. It's all melancholy, isn't it? A little, that was common movie premise at the I, time. It's just really weird, but all right. Uh, yeah, and, and he ended up retiring from acting. and uh, A lot of kid backers do. I think he became a very uh, very good salesman after that. Oh, cool. Um, but uh, yeah, the Child's Play movie was a, a big hit. Um, yeah. A lot. What I appreciate about the Child's Play movies is when uh, Chucky, the, the name of the doll, mm. when he springs to life as a doll and mm. starts murdering people, their la- the last expression on their face is one of utter confusion. Yeah. They, they don't really believe that they're being murdered by a doll. You've lived your uh, whole life, 20, 30, mm. 40, 50 years. Nothing weird and magical has ever happened. And then the and last then thing you see is, is, is a, a doll coming to life and killing you. Be- beating you with a yardstick Sca- or whatever it is. It's Child's a- Play scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Yeah, right. I didn't even see the movie. A lot of people saw it as uh, too early in age. I, I saw the, uh, the commercials on TV. Hmm. And it was so goddamn scary. I had recurring nightmares about the doll from Chucky. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene in the first movie that is just one of the best horror scenes it's so well constructed because the mom has all these corpses have piled up and the mom thinks that her son did it because why Mm. would you believe the doll did it but the kid says the doll did it so the kid's like been like institutionalized and she's at home and she's despondent and she picks up the doll and it's like it couldn't possibly be this thing and she like pulls like the string or whatever like that Uh and it says hi i'm chucky want to play and she's like, okay, it's nothing. And then she turns it around and realizes there are no batteries. There's no batteries in it. That's <laughs> the scariest fucking moment. That is such yeah. a good moment. Yeah, it's got Catherine Hicks is yeah. the mom. Uh, Chris Sarandon's the cop. Um, yeah. Those first two movies are really great. Child's Play three, Child's Play three is garbage. Uh, Bride of Chucky is really funny. Seed of Chucky is garbage. Yeah, Uh, I appreciate that they tried to. Seed of of Chucky has interesting ideas. They tried to turn it into uh, the sort of like uh, incredibly queer, uh, gender free wheeling slapstick comedy. Yeah, I appreciate the ambition. I don't think it comes across very well. I think there's so Um, many interesting ideas, and I actually think they're explored pretty well. But mm. I think it was uh, that was Dom Mancini's like first directorial debut with the character. And, and I think he hadn't, he hadn't found his voice. As it's a, it's as a low budget. Yet. It's a little shabby. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he got a cameo by John Waters. But then they try to get other celebrity cameos. Mm. And the biggest one they can get is Redman. Yeah. It's like, and and, and, it, and it, the whole thing is like he's trying to like direct like a biblical epic. And uh, it feels pretty all, all, all that stuff. And, you know, Jennifer Tilly plays herself. She She's also, great. Also plays yeah. Tiffany, uh, who in Bride of Chucky beca- also I, becomes I would argue doll. that it is, it is um, a must-see film in the series just mm. because, A, it establishes stuff that's important later. But, mm. B... It's got good ideas, and there is some fun to be yeah. had in it, but it's a little shoddy. So the, there were those five movies, then they remade the movie, uh, then they started doing straight-to-video movies, so the, there was... The remake, uh, however, just Kurt, to be clear, Curse, is, Curse is a Chucky. different thing. 
the the remake is a different thing. I actually kind of like that remake. Yeah, uh, was... they, they, the the studio that released the, the the rights to Chucky are like held by two different studios, hmm. and one studio had the rights to certain elements. And they decided to make a movie with those elements and leave out all the other stuff. So they made, so a, they made a, their a own kind of a story, separate. Yeah. So the original story, Chucky franchise is still going, never stopped. But there's this other thing. And you're right, that remake is pretty good. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there were a couple of straight-to-video movies. I think the straight-to-video movies are excellent, especially Cult of Chucky. Cult of Chucky is really good. Cult of Cur- Chucky is Curse great. of Chucky is a little generic, but it's fine. Um, I, think, I think it brings it back to its roots because like, they, they turned into a joke. Hmm. And they were like, turned, we got, let's we make got a horror movie. Let, let's make him yeah. scary again. Can we can we like do like a haunted house movie, but instead of a ghost in the house, it's Chucky and no hmm. one believes it? It works pretty good. Cult of Chucky is really cool. Yeah. It's got yeah. a lot of neat ideas in it. And it really I, brings it all together. And there's also a TV series that's just called Chucky, which I, I haven't, haven't, seen, I haven't that. seen this the I TV know, series. I need to see this fucking um, this, docu- this documentary film, we walked you through all this stuff. And this is all yeah. the stuff that the documentary film uh, works you through. Um, yeah. It was written and directed by, uh, let me look up her name, uh, Kira Elise Gardner. Okay. She's uh, the daughter of uh, Tony Gardner, who did a lot of the special effects huh. for the original uh Child's Play and mm-hmm. a lot of other horror movies besides. Uh, and the early parts of this documentary are really, really interesting mm. because we're going back to sort of the genesis of Chucky and yeah. we're talking to Don Mancini and David Kirshner and the producers and mm. this weird long uh, journey it mm. took and all these uh, separate concepts that they were playing with prior to actually actually writing the screenplay, mm-hmm. the original yeah. screenplay. The, the original ideas for Child's Play were pretty different than what we ended up getting, actually, yeah. yeah. And all of that stuff's really interesting. Yeah. And I like when they're talking about Chucky sort of conceptually. Yeah. And then we get into the actual movies and they just sort of efficient, uh, interesting conversations with the people who made the movies. Hmm. Making of documentary, something you might find as like DVD extra features. And hmm. those are fascinating. Yeah. And then we get to the end where it suddenly gets really emotional and kind of treacly about child's play. <laughs> These are horror movies about a killer doll. And I know that these are really important to people. And I know especially mm. when it comes to uh, queer representation. Yeah, especially Especially, the especially when movies. you get to, like, uh, Seed of Chucky. Seed of Chucky onwards. Yeah. It kind of skips over Curse, but, like, from Cult of Chucky Seed and the and show, Seed apparently. And, yeah, Seed uh, Cult and the show apparently. are all yeah. very queer forward. And, yeah. um, and Don Mancini's openly queer. Yeah. Uh, and that's all great. Mm. And I think... Uh, uh, so, like, it's cool that mm. the, 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 the show is... That's cool that Child's Play has gone on a new life with a without completely rebooting itself. Mm. Remake aside, uh, but just sort of recontextualizing it and like mm. that's really really cool. And I appreciate that considering again this has been the same group of people a lot of them making these movies. It's been Don Mancini and Brad Dourif and mm. Jennifer Tilly's been around for most of it. Um, it's got to be emotional for them. Yeah, they spend, they spend yeah. a huge part of their life making these movies. Mm. It, uh, but is it, does it feel like it's trying to make it like about more than that? Is that why the treacliness didn't work for you? Well, it's because it takes so, uh, so much of the movie. Ah. But we reach a point in the movie where it's just a lot of people being completely effusive about how important these movies are. Mm-hmm. And it feels like they're puffing it up a little too much. It starts to feel like a puff piece oh, rather but... than... Uh, a, a sort of a genuine exploration as sort of the, the these curious movies have, you know, their niche in pop culture. Is it about just like the facts and the history of it, or do they bring in like some well, talking that's... heads to talk about like what they mean? Uh, unfortunately, it's just 
the people who made it. It's there's okay. there's I'm a little or, less offended that they wasn't or, that I wasn't contacted. Or there's there's like some there's some like collectors and fans, but there aren't yeah. critics who are yeah. like trying to really unpack it and analyze it. I, I would have liked a lot more of that. I, I listen, I joke um, that I would have liked to have been mm-hmm. a part of it because I always thought it'd be cool to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, th- I think that's a missed opportunity because I actually think there's a lot going on in the Child's Play movies, mm-hmm. starting with at the very least you know, the original film was about uh, capitalism. Yeah, yeah, and the, and like, and they had ideas. Those other movies, three, not so much. But like, there's yeah. so much going on in so many yeah. of those movies that I feel like an actual discussion of what those movies are artistically might have been really cool. Yeah, even if it didn't come from me, they're it's irrelevant. I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. they had to do it. Child's Play 3 is set at a military academy. The The main boy grows up and it's goes so to military armature. school. It has nothing uh, to do with anything. Well, if, <laughs> if you were trying to uh, maybe draw some sort of parallels between the murder of a serial killer and the murder of a soldier, like, where's the line there? They didn't bring yeah. that up in the movie. No, that, that's uh, not a thing. Yeah. There, there's a, a racial element in the movie that they do yeah. not address. No. Um, uh, it's not about there, there, there were some ideas in Child's Play 3 that yeah. they could have gone with, but the, the, they didn't. It's, it's kind of fun uh, to watch. There's some fun set pieces in it, but it's it's uh, it's, it's a weirdly conceived I will, film. I will say this for Child's Play 3. Uh-huh. It has some of the best animatronics I've seen in any movie. It's pretty fucking good uh, looking animatronics. Yeah. Like, you don't question Ch- it after a and while. And that's the cool thing about the Chucky movies, and they, they don't address this in the movie too much, mm-hmm. but Chucky has remained an animatronic special effect yeah. throughout, even yeah. to this day. Uh, and I think that's been Don Mancini's mandate. You can't yeah. have a CGI Chucky because it will look too real. Yeah, the whole it has to look is, a little plastic. That's the whole point, is that yeah. it looks... Because there's the thing. It's a fucking doll. Yeah. It's got to look like a doll. We know what a doll looks like. So uh, It's not like you got to create like a fucking space whale. It's a fucking doll. <laughs> <laughs> Just get a doll. So, um... The animatronics are good in that first movie. Yeah. They're just as good in the second. The third, they like actually bothered to put like servos in Chucky's lips, so his lips actually match the words he's saying. Yeah, it's weird. It's really eerie. And I actually like uh, that they ended up justifying that a little bit over time because they added this element into the story where uh, the longer he's in the doll, the more he becomes the doll. Like, like the he more... starts to bleed after a while. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, like it becomes like... part of his biology. So the fact that the doll has like articulation that it shouldn't uh-huh. is part of it and it's pretty yeah. clever so yeah and I, and I wish that Chucky had lived in the doll body long enough yeah that they started like having a live actor in there like it started oh, to look more weird, and more yeah. human that would have looked really strange weird, yeah. they, nev- they never did that in any of the movies nah that's the direction mm-hmm. they go they didn't go on, but like yeah mm-hmm. But so uh, so uh, so, so if you like if, the child's you, play movies, if you like the nice. child's play movies, it's a good footnote to ah. the child's play movies. It's it's uh, you know well put together. They got all the right people in there. Mm. But I wanted it to delve. I wanted it to yeah. go a little bit deeper as to the meaning of these things. Did you learn uh, anything that you just had no idea of before? Was it I'm, invaluable to like trivia? I'm a fan of the child's play movies, so uh-huh. I knew a lot of the trivia already. That's about right. Uh, it, it was just sort of like fun yeah. hearing these people say these things again. Now, if you if you're a fan of the Child's Play movies and you don't know this stuff, this yeah. is going to be kind of eye-opening, I think. It's it's very intriguing. Very yeah. well, yeah, you know, slick, slickly put together, you know, and they get all of the right people to talk about it. It doesn't feel like there's anything missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels a little bit pat after a while. And that, yeah. That's the only upsetting aspect. Uh, and if you have no interest in the Child's Play movies... You're, you're not going to want to watch this. This is not, not going to introduce it. It's to not going to bring you into this world yeah. and give you the sort of like interesting network of ideas and mm. people who are up to things outside of Child's Play. It sticks with Child's Play. So it's a Play. niche project. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well, the last one we're going to be reviewing. I saw this. I wish you'd seen this. I, I, I wanted I, to have I, a more I, I tried, but I never. I couldn't this. get out to it. So, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. 
It's from director Daniel Goldhaber, who uh, previously directed a really excellent horror film called Cam. Uh, which is I remember a, when Cam came out. Yeah, yeah. Cam was quite good. Oh, wait, oh no, I saw Cam. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, the, it's about the the Cam girl, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I saw Cam. Yeah, it's about basically someone with an OnlyFans account, and uh, they find out that there is another uh, adult, uh, another sex worker with an OnlyFans account who is it, masquerading it, it, imitating as her. Them, yeah, and they look just like her. They have all the same everything, and this challenges her sense of identity. This this freaks her the hell out. She doesn't understand how this is possible and gradually comes to realize that there might be something supernatural going on. And um, that movie is suspenseful, well-constructed. It actually cares about the sex work industry and doesn't just demonize it as a matter of course. Um, I think it's really great. And if you've never seen Cam, it's totally worth checking out. Um, This is a very different film. Uh, This is a political thriller. And it is inspired by a book that was also called How to Blow Up a Pipeline uh, from an author named Andreas Malm. Mm-hmm. It's a nonfiction book, and I haven't read it, but I was reading about it. And apparently it's about how uh, climate change, mm-hmm. man-made climate change, and uh, uh, the dangers that we now face from it that are increasing somewhat exponentially have become such a tangible, immediate existential threat Hmm. to our existence as human beings and to the planet as a whole uh, that strict pacifism and trying to talk our way out of it is not going to work. And the only way to actually bring the proper attention to it and to get capitalistic enterprises who rely on climate-destroying technologies and energy sources like oil Mm. uh, to change their ways because all they care about is making money. And that's just what a corporation is. They make money. Uh, The only way to get them to stop doing it is to make it more expensive to do that than not to. Mm. It's make it more expensive to go about things as a status quo than it is to change and wean themselves off of fossil fuels. And they argue for... Uh, sabotage as a meaningful uh, and in, 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 in the book argues uh, uh, moral thing to do. Uh, heavy stuff. Something, yeah. to, something to seriously consider. Because taking action, taking actual action uh, to create political change is often, regardless of how far it goes, mm. uh, label terrorism. And if and the movie argues, and apparently the book argues as well, that if we were alive when the Boston Tea Party happened, that would be written off as terrorism as well. Uh-huh. But we look back on it as a moment of complicated, but a moment of meaningful change that ended up being good for the creation of this country. So the question is, when do you decide as a person that now is that moment? How to Blow Up a Pipeline is about a group of young people, mostly young people, who have decided for distinct reasons, each person gets flashbacks revealing how they got here, that the time is now, and they've decided to, without hurting anybody, at least that's the goal, blow up a pipeline. There's a pipeline going through, I think it's Texas, and they have done their research, and they think if we put explosives, if we make our own explosives, we put them here and here, and if we turn off the oil so that there won't be a massive spill, 
we can completely disrupt this pipeline and we can make a message. We can make a statement. But in the process, we do become felons. Yeah. And we have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And so we see them come together. We see the plan come together. Uh, we I'm, have to... I'm already on their side. Yeah. Everything, every, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. behind everything you're saying it, here. This is it's, great. It's ethically complicated, mm -hmm. but this is a movie that actually dares to say, this is complicated and you can look at it in multiple different ways, but the movie argues... I think it's very daring hmm. that it is the right thing to do. And if you disagree, fine, but you have to actually reckon with the movie on that and challenge the movie's points. And so we get, we see, is it going to come together? Much like any other movie about the uh, uh, performance of an elaborate crime, like a heist movie, for example, things go wrong. Will they be able to adjust on the fly? Time is a factor now. We're, it, this is the moment of no return. We're all in this. If anything goes wrong, we're all going to jail and we've accomplished nothing. Works as a thriller. Really, really good cast. Uh, the uh, star Ariella Bearer, who was on that very good Marvel show Runaways. Uh, okay. She she also co-wrote the screenplay. Okay. And she did a really good job. Uh this is a movie that we, we talked when we talked about like Super Mario, for example, mm -hmm. about how filmmakers could have ambition to tell a meaningful story. Yeah. And sometimes they choose not to because of whatever reason. Maybe they're just trying to make fluff. Maybe they're under a corporate mandate to make fluff. And not every movie needs to be how to blow up a pipeline. No one's asking for that. But you will get whiplash if you watch the Super Mario Brothers movie <laughs> or even Air, a movie we liked a lot more than that, and then watch How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Corporate forward movies. And, and yeah. Then one, uh, this is the environmental opposite terrorist. of that. This uh. is watching this movie now, and I, I think this is a movie that aspires to, I don't think it quite hits these heights, but this is a movie that at the very least aspires to be as confrontational and of its, and immediate. Uh-huh. As a film like Lizzie Borden's Born in Flames oh. or or Corvo's Battle for Algiers. I wish it was as beautifully constructed as either of those movies. Those are like two of the best movies ever made. Those are arguably <laughs> two of the best movies ever made. And I think this movie is trying to do that. I think it comes up a little short. And I think part of it is, it's hard to say, but part of it seems to be maybe budget, but it's also a movie that only needs to do certain things. A lot of it takes place in the desert because that's the construction of it. Excuse me. Um, I look at it cinematically and I just see that this feels like it would have been nice if they could have brought a little bit more, a little bit more zing, a little bit more personality to the filmmaking mm. itself. Because when you compare it to something like Lizzie Borden's film Born in Flames is this like weird kind of so, uh, futuristic uh, uh, independent movie about it's like, it's uh, like a utopia slash dystopia movie uh, yeah. that takes place in the near future of New York and how there's these uh, rival lesbian yeah. radio stations yeah. uh, who are trying to uh, best effects like the most super communist change that they can yeah. and how each one of them is compromised in some way. Yeah, and the ending of that movie will fuck you up. It's such, especially when you realize when it was made and you'll be it's like, made in oh 1983. Yeah. Then you realize, oh shit, that's weirdly ahead of its time in a very uncomfortable mm -hmm. way. Uh, and then uh, it's fucking great, yeah. by the way. And then, Seek out Born in Flames. And then Battle for Algiers is a film that was about an actual uh, political uprising. Uh, and it's it, it, Giovanni Corvo is one of the more underrated filmmakers. I feel everyone like anytime you bring up 
his movies and someone has seen them they go oh my god they're amazing and yet he is not considered one of the best filmmakers of all time usually well not here in the United States I think uh, no, yeah. a, a lot of his work didn't make it to the US but uh, Battle for Algiers is considered one of the best movies ever made by a lot of people he did an amazing film with Marlon Brando called Burn which Brando called one of like the two or three best movies he ever made and when you think about Brando's career you realize what that means <laughs> um, incredible filmmaker uh, here again Exciting, suspenseful, smart, actually edgy. We, 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 we like to think edgy is just like, ah, yes, there's a lot of murder in my movie. Yeah, but to what end? <laughs> Are you really pushing an envelope? Are you really like trying to challenge the audience to think about what you're doing? Are you really on the edge if no one can tell where that, that if no one's worried about falling off? Hmm. You know? I'm, to put that, yeah. I think so, and I think it's like I see a lot of edgy stuff, and it's fun. But I, I only call it edgy because that's just what we call that kind of filmmaking, not because I feel like I'm on the edge. Yeah, this is trying to be on the edge. It mostly succeeds. It's an excellent movie. It is genuinely smart, genuinely intense, uh, and yeah, I, I feel like I, I don't exactly know where the problem lies. It could have been a little bit more impressively photographed maybe and i think that might have maybe made more of an impression that might have helped sell it a little bit stronger as opposed to feeling you know so indie but i don't know maybe maybe this is going to be more effective i can't say what i can say is that i highly recommend you watch this movie whether or not you agree with the ethos because it is some of the best and most daring storytelling i've seen in a long time so Golly, see, it, seen this movie. see it if you don't like it as much as I do fine but I think you'll at least appreciate that it is trying to use familiar cinematic language like heist language to do something way more immediate of the moment and impactful than most movies are willing to do yeah and I think that alone makes it exciting yeah so I recommend it Anyway, that is it for the movie reviews. Let's do uh, let's do our uh, critically acclaimed scale. Mm. We rank our movies on a critically acclaimed scale. Our ratings are C minus to C plus. C is average. Most movies are average. Mixed bag. Mm. Only just okay. Bada bing. C plus is above average. If it's above average, we highly recommend that movie. We might think it's amazing. We might just think it's quite good. But that's a definite recommendation. And a C minus is below average. That is a movie we don't recommend because of one reason or another but we just think it is shoddy and it doesn't work on that note how to blow up a pipeline i'm giving a big old c plus it's one of the best movies i've seen so far this year uh and i just i hope it's obviously it can't compete with super mario people (laughs) people aren't gonna take their whole like family of eight to go Uh. see how to blow up a pipeline it's not gonna make a huge dent at the box office unless it like lingers but when you have the opportunity to see it i know it's not playing in every theater See this movie. It's really excellent. All right. All right. Yeah. This sounds like right up my alley. I know. I, I, I really, wanted to, shit, I so, really yeah. wanted you to see this because I think you're going to enjoy it. When you do, let me know because I want to talk to you about it. Uh, let's see. Living with Chucky. Uh, Living with Chucky is a, a C. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it, totally entertaining, completely watchable. I'm um, going to be not insightful, but, mm. you know, uh, Informative, perhaps, a little mm. bit, for uh, people who are fans of the series. Okay. If you're not a fan of the series, Yeah, don't, you, 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 there's the no se- need. Go see the series first. Yeah. yeah, there you go. See the series, though. It's really good. Well, watch at least mm. the first Child's Play, and if you like, Bride of Chucky. 
I, I'd say two. I think two is even better than one. All see right, what? Right. See one, two, and Bride of Chucky. If the only mm-hmm. those are the that's the trilogy to go for. Yeah. Um, and then if you like it, watch the rest because Cult is really good if you can get to it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Paint big old C minus. I don't have any animosity towards it. I just don't think it works. I think they have kind of whiffed on the idea of like the comedy character because they didn't make him clear enough. Mm. Uh, they, they just waffles between. Uh, whatever the movie wants right now, and it uh, makes it feel very inconsistent and not very good. And also, I just didn't laugh at it. And that, that's, the, and that's the biggest damnation that's, of them all. Yeah. Just, I just didn't think it was funny. That's just... I, I told you why. Boom. But there you go. Uh, let's see here. Air. Uh, Air. C+. Mm-hmm. I really like Air. I, I like the performances. I like the screenplay. I thought it did have... Uh, Maybe not so forward a message, but I think it was saying uh, sort of things about the state of corporate America in the mid 80s and how that has sort of come to inform the things we think about. Mm -hmm. The fact that this movie exists at all has shown how deeply branded audiences and filmmakers have become since then. This is we make Uh, inspirational stories now about the creation of corporate products. Yeah, that's where inspirations come from. Tetris, there's air. There's another movie coming out uh, in a a little bit called Flame and Hot. That's about the creation of Flame and Hot Flame and Hot Cheetos. Yeah. That's I, where our minds are, yeah. and I think if we're going to be do, making these stories, we should at least make them into... They should at least be good. R- really you know, kind of well-done Hollywood dramas, and this mm. is a well-done Hollywood I, drama. I agree. I think it's very well-crafted. I, I take issue with um, the way it balances some of the material that it tackles. Mm. Um, I definitely like it a little less than you do, but I still think it's very well-made, and I think... Uh, the performances are excellent enough, and the highlights are high enough that I'm still mm-hmm. going to give it a C plus. Okay, it's just a bit more qualified than yours. Uh, and then, lastly, the Super Mario Brothers movie. I mean, I, I'm going to give it a C minus. I don't okay. think it's a very good movie. Uh, I don't think there's any personality to it at all. Mm. I resent that it feels like a commercial. Yeah, I'm typically pretty sensitive when I uh, when a film feels like it's pandering. Yeah, to audiences uh, when it feels like a product. I understand yeah. films are a product, mm-hmm. but when it feels like a product, I hate it. It, sh- it shouldn't. And, it shouldn't uh, be in your face about it. It shouldn't like yeah. just be a commercial. So yeah, something yeah. that is com- combining a lot of familiar uh, video game iconography into something that feels mm-hmm. like a commercial for the theme park and other things you can buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me kind of hate it. Yeah, um, it's co- like you said. It's colorful. It takes mm-hmm. the color palettes from the video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's affable. It, it has. Moments that are funny for little kids. It's gonna have video game references that some of the oldies might recognize. I recognized mm-hmm. a lot of the, the video game references. Sure. And it is completely boring to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not that entertaining. Yeah, I I, I like this one a little bit more than you do. Yeah. A little bit because I I agree with you all your points. We just we had a long conversation about that. Um, however, unlike something like for example Space Jam, where which, I feel which is, is like the, the pits, which like is the, the pits. Bo- I think I think it, it, that's yeah. about as bad as corporate filmmaking gets. I think. Um, because Space Jam, I don't think works in any way. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's not well animated. It doesn't do a good service to the characters. I, I don't think anything about it works. I don't find it very entertaining. I know some people do. We differ on that. But when you add all that to the fact that it is a corrupt enterprise, mm. uh, it makes me just think it's just genuinely terrible. Uh, I can't say that about Super Mario Brothers movie because I think uh, as a passive form of escapist entertainment mm. uh, it is trying so hard to not be anything that it doesn't achieve being bad it's just 
watching someone play Mario. And I can watch someone play Mario mm-hmm. all day. I appreciate a lot of the craft that went into creating the world, updating the music, the cinematic language. I think there is some passive, banal, Saturday morning matinee entertainment value to be had out of that. And so for me, while I don't like the, the corporate aspect of it, I feel as though the movie is effective enough as an entertainment machine mm-hmm. that I'm going to give it a C. Okay. I think this is basically the, the definition of corporate IP mediocrity. We're mm. just going to show you the thing. Yeah. We're not going to do anything with it. We're not going to do anything interesting. But it is the thing. You paid yeah. for this, uh, the, you uh, get this, and now you fuck off. Yeah, and that's I, uh, that's the movie. And you know what? You you, you got what you, you got what you paid for. Get what you pay for. You can't, and, can't and complain that's, too that's, much about it because it's like. It's, I mean, it's it's kind of sad that this is this is the kind of people people want the yeah. kind of movie people wanted. Well, and I, not the one from thirty years ago, well, which is like strange and off putting in ways that I appreciate. I think it's worth noting though, if you're going to talk about box office success, which again is little yeah. to nothing to do with the quality of a movie. Um, not not but, our beat, but yeah. But it's also very different environments. Mm. Because this Super Mario Brothers movie is coming out at a time when there are no other kids' movies in the theaters. There's, yeah, there's a, a few that are weeks old at this point. Yeah, like like like, like Dungeons and Dragons is not for little kids. Yeah. It's a family movie, probably a lot of people went to see it. Puss but, in Boots is played out. Yeah, yeah Puss in Boots was, was came out like Christmas. Christmas time, yeah. There hasn't been a movie for families to take younger kids... In months. And when you go... When you make a movie for younger kids... The target demographic isn't the only one buying a ticket. Because they're bringing their parents. Mm. They're bringing the rest of their family. So and that inflates... It's making that that inflates the box the office States, of any yeah. one of those movies. That's why kids' movies tend to do so well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, people just like being able to go see movies with their kids. And they can't always. So having something that it feels safe... I understand the appeal. I understand why this is successful. I understand why people want to go see it, and I'm sh- and it's just well made enough that I think a lot of people are going to see it and go, "That was okay. I got what I paid for." Well, but, but and that's the, what, but that, and, and, again, I'm, we're we're not I, necessarily I, I, just consumer advocates no, no, here. But, but we're not. Know. We're not. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying I understand why some people are saying it's okay. Mm. I understand why some people enjoy it. I'm saying. That's a very low bar to ask for. Yeah. And I and I have higher standards than that, and people have different standards at different levels for different types of movies, and I get it. Hmm. So that's why I, I'm giving it like a mediocre because I just feel like, you know, if this was all I wanted, this is what I would get, and it doesn't hurt anything hmm. beyond the pain of just this is what corporate IP is. Yeah. But it doesn't like it, it it's so vapid. That it can't even be about anything bad. <laughs> you know, it can't even mess up its the, message because it doesn't have one. The, 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 the mediocrity protects it from kind being terrible. <laughs> it kind of does. It can never be great, but it can also never be awful. Mm. Because it is about nothing. Mm. It can't be about something bad either. I, so it's just so. generic. Yeah. It's the definition of generic. It's well-crafted generic, but it's generic. It's generic. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for uh, Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to all of our patrons in particular. Yes. Because without you, this show wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be able to do any of this. We're incredibly grateful. If you have the means and you want to support us, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network and you will get a whole bunch of exclusive shows 
We have podcasts where we uh, review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. We have podcasts where uh, we review every single episode of Star Trek. We have whole back catalogs that will open up to you. We reviewed every single episode of the Adam West Batman show, every single episode of Firefly. We did Disney retrospectives. It's all there. We do Discord hangouts, trivia nights. We try to make sure it's worth your while. So thank you to all of our patrons, and if you can afford to join, please do. If you haven't, don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review wherever you find us. Even that helps. That means a lot to us. And either way, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Do you disagree with something we said on this podcast? Do you have a particular topic you want us to discuss that we haven't yet? Or that we have and you missed it? I don't know. Hmm. I don't expect you to listen to every back episode. Uh, you can always email us and we might read your email in an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail. Whitney. Yes. What is our P.O. box? Yeah, if you want to send us an actual physical letter, we do get those and we do read them. Uh, you can send it to the P.O. Uh, critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And um, I, guess, I guess that's that, then. That's that. Thank you for listening. Don't forget everyone's a critic or anything. Just don't, don't, don't forget it. That's it. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?